some guidance before we begin. This episode is about the TV series Jessica Jones, which contains themes of sexual assault and trauma. the Jessica Jones episode, one of the most important eras in Marvel, one of the most important characters for us to look at, Marvel's very first uh, female leading character in a Marvel project way before the Captain Marvel movie came out, a very exciting time. We've laid the table in quite a way, but there's one thing we need to talk about first before we go any further. Mm. What on earth was happening in the year 2015 when this came out? We need a lay of the land. Um, which we've been doing recently to try and get a better understanding of what the world was like when uh, these movies and TV shows came out and how things sat in the in the MCU and outside the MCU. Um, which it's interesting. This one came out like early, like February two thousand fifteen. So Jessica Jones comes out before the Age of Ultron. Okay, um, and the MCU really. You know, in 2014, we had Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So mm. we'd expanded um, into this, you know, this new this new franchise that's outside of the planet Earth, um, and we've had Cap get a little bit more depth, haven't we? In the Winter Soldier, one of our favourites. Yeah, it's. I, I, I was at, I was at a thing last night. I was talking about Marvel films to another guy, and he went, "Oh, what's your favourite one?" And he struggled to think. Because you know, there's, there's there's so many good ones, but immediately I went. I would have to say the Winter Soldier. I forget the names, but the writers of the, of the Cap movies are really something else. Oh, know? they are just uh, yeah. I just th- they it. wrote those three movies, and mm. um, outside of the MCU, we had Amazing Spider-Man two in two thousand and fourteen, and we had um, from 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 Sony, and we had X Men: Days of Future Past from twentieth Century Fox. Um, some interesting installments there. 2014 very much will as i'm sure you'll know the year of taylor swift um, <laughs> like it's the it's the year that she sort of segued from this country pop act to a bona fide mega pop star with the album 1989 which was the album of 2014 i and had the smash hit single shake it off yeah i had no idea she was a country act she's got loads of albums before this 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 nineteen eighty nine album, yeah, and she's she was the Romeo and Juliet, I think is was her big country here. I mean, mm. it's it's kind of bubblegum country, I might call it. Yeah. But she was she was yeah. a youngster too, and, and nothing wrong with that. There's lots of this you know, but yeah, she she was uh, like won lots of uh, AMAs, the American um the, the not that AMAs, the CMAs, the Country Music Awards and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of her background. 2015, after Jessica Jones comes out, would go on to become the year of Adele as Hello is released and becomes like this insanely huge. It's the first, it's the quickest song to ever get 100 million listens. Um, It ends up being downloaded and listened to billions of times. It's a massive song. Adele Mm, in 2015 is huge. Um, In our last episode, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, we touched on how 2010 was a major year. The the impact that Netflix and streaming television 
was having on the traditional TV world. Important for us to think about as we are watching so many of these things through the Disney Plus app, through a streaming service, as Disney Plus gives us a way of having incredible TV shows that we never really, we would never have had like four or five Marvel shows on television in a year without Disney Plus. Um, And without Netflix, we would never have had Jessica Jones in this form, right, at all. So that's an important thing for us to think about Mm. as the Netflix and streaming kind of really changes the way we, we consume entertainment. 2014 um, is the year that David Letterman and Chelsea Handler both leave traditional television and bring the form or a different version of their late night TV talk shows to a to a close, and then they both kind of bring a versions of that to um, to Netflix. So that's I mean I mean Chelsea Handler is not a you know she's a, she's certainly a name, but David Letterman's a massive like for David Letterman oh, to walk away. Name. From traditional television and then take a version of his show mm. to Netflix is again another huge example of how streaming is is changing television completely. Mm. Um, 2015 will have um, major movie franchises. The return of two major <laughs> movie franchises. The Force Awakens comes yep. out in 2015. Um, m- maybe the only real like competitor to Marvel knocking around. The Star Wars franchise. In, indeed. I remember seeing this. I, I saw it on opening night by accident. Uh, I didn't intend to to see it, but it was it was the only time free, so I ended up seeing right. it with my then, then girlfriend. And uh, I tell you what, the weirdest thing about it was at the end, everybody half-heartedly clapped. But not in a way of, that was a great film. More in a way of, Thank God it was better than episodes one, two, and three. And that's what you heard in that clap. <laughs> that's what I deduced in that clap because it was it was fine. The Force Awakens was fine. It, it was I, I I loved it. I it took over it took over two billion at the box office. I hadn't had any interest in going to see it after the prequels. Yeah, and then at the very end of January. I think so. It would, I would have seen it in 2016 because it came out at the very end of 2015. December, I yeah, I remember it. So I saw it at the, the, during January, kind of after everyone had been to see it. And I went in with very low expectations and had one of the best cinema experiences of my life. Good. It good. was amazing. I was to have the, to have sets and creature works mm. and puppets and to see you know to see the millennium falcon and that kind of stuff it sounds trite now because we get 100 million of them but yeah. at the time i wasn't expected to enjoy it and i adored it i thought it was wonderful that's it's good um, you enjoyed it I, there was stuff i i liked about it stuff i wasn't overly keen on but i think i preferred i think it was the best of the new trilogy and of course, 2015 is the year that um, Jurassic World yes. makes that franchise, revives that franchise from its bronze encampment, um, and it takes in uh, 1.6 billion at the box office. Um, I, I remember going uh, to see this with my mum. It was it was fun. I, I don't I don't think I bothered seeing it. The, the cinema I caught it on on DVD, um, or not DVD streaming, of course. And it was very okay. It was fine. It was a it fun was, little monster right. B movie. Fun little yeah. monster B movie, and they got progressively worse. I'm I thought, amazed it took over for a billion. That's great, isn't it? Like one point six billion. One point six billion at the box office. Um, I I, re- I recently watched the Dominion in the cinema, and I can easily, definitely say that was. Not only the worst Jurassic Park movie, but one of the worst movies I've ever watched in the cinema. 
What is? Why is it called Dominion? What does that mean? Because the in dinosaurs, the context of the the dinosaurs are now out of the park and are all around the world. So they they control the world, do they? They don't control it. No, but so they don't have yeah. dominion over the world. Hey, no. it's Colin Trevero, man. That's <laughs> that's his idea, and he's not very good at ideas. Beyond the worlds of entertainment, uh, we have uh, the FIFA scandal, where the uh, US Department of Justice finds nine FIFA officials to be corrupt, along with a bunch of corporate executives as well. Um, that comes out in May of 2015. Mm. Um Apparently, it shocks the world to discover <laughs> that football, international football, is corrupt. The defendants <laughs> are charged with racketeering, money laundering, and wire fraud. What a, FIFA what, is, just, yeah. is, is a mafia, has always been a mafia, and gets worse every year. I was about to say, what a year to say this when the World Cup's just oh, about God. to start, and it's even worse. It's got yeah. even worse. Um, it was also the year that um, Volkswagen had that big um, emissions test cheating oh, scandal. God. The manufacturer. Yeah. Were, were found to be cheating on the emissions test that they used to kind of advertise themselves as a cleaner car. Um, and uh, and again, apparently, people were shocked and surprised mm. that Volkswagen, the Nazi cars, <laughs> had a scandal attached to them. Um, <laughs> sure, okay. Um, uh, there was another joke that was going around no, at the time, but no, I'm not going to say no, it. It's, thank it's, you. It's, it's very bad. <laughs> Um, and uh, it was also 2015 year that um, Apple watches were released. Did you have yeah. any wearable tech at the time? Uh, not time, but I do. I, I got my first um, smartwatch this year. But I'm, I'm showing it to this Rob. Year. But look, from this from this angle, it looks like a regular, looks like a regular watch. watch. Yeah, yeah. I remember the time. Also, yeah. So five, six, seven years after yeah. they kind of they first became popular and came out. Yeah, but there was a thing at the time where you also had. They were talking about the glasses. That would also Google, uh, Google Glass, wasn't it? Google Glass, and there was yeah. the debate like which one would succeed or would both fail. And I always knew that one would succeed. And I have to say, I, I should have put money down on the on the uh, watch because it's we've always wanted to have a watch like that, like for decades. We've ever since wanted... Dick Tracy, yes, ever since <laughs> Dick Tracy, ever since Dick Tracy, you wanted a watch you could use as a phone. And yeah, we finally have it. We have it at a good price. We have very. Oh god, we've come so far. But when they first came out, you couldn't use it as a phone. Like no. my my dear friend Neil got one, and it was expensive. And I said, "What's it let you do?" He says, "Oh man, you can um, aside from telling the time and setting alarms and stuff." And I was like, "Like a watch." He goes, "You can read your emails mm -hmm. and your text yep. messages through the through the screen." And I went, "Yeah, wow." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, you've got to have your phone on you, like in your pocket, for it to work." Yeah, went, right. So it's four five hundred quid. To stop yourself from taking your phone out your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think that is worth it. But using it as a phone is something. It's something. It's a, it's it's far too small of a screen for me to ever be interested in it. But well, especially as my eyes deteriorate as I get I, older. I only got mine because it was second hand off a mate for like 40, 50 quid. So I was like, there yeah, we I'll go. Well, yeah, of yeah. course, the prices come down, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's not just Apple, of course, everyone else flooded the market and then competition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's the year. Um, that Tesla brought out the almost autopilot, the yeah. not quite autopilot system. So you can switch lanes on autopilot and yep. it would uh, reduce speed automatically and parallel park automatically. Wow. Um, and uh, that's the, it was the, not the first to make it, but the first to aggressively promote it. Mm. Um, any interest in, in, um, in any kind of automatic autopilot car? Rob, as you know, my day job is to do with automation test coding. 
telling a computer what to do. I don't. I don't know that at all. I know you do something. I know you do something with computers. I know what but, it is. So computers. So I know a little bit about AI and stuff like that. Plus, I also drive a car. Rob, I do not want a <laughs> autopilot car. I know how. I know how things can go wrong, and I would never ever want unless unless we get like for ten years we get like. Car, autopilot cars being used and there's a, such a good margin of safety that's proven to be good until then no thank you take your autopilot car and drive off do you Get it want away to me. buy a car from the man who is currently setting fire to twitter well you should <laughs> see what the think... uh, the fake tesla account said uh, oh, hey yeah, we were setting fire to car things before it was cool <laughs> um, someone wants before all of this someone wants to describe to me um that uh, tesla is like imagine it, you know you know all the problems you have with a printer <laughs> getting, it to, getting it to connect getting it to respond to you getting it to oh it's detected it suddenly has none of that he said imagine if that was your car <laughs> Oh, that's a tesla God. um oh that is superb <laughs> that is so so good that is such so, a good analogy what a year it. for uh, what a year for tech 2015 as jessica jones is coming out we're getting yeah. apple watches we're getting wearable tech and we're getting uh sort of autopilots um and we're getting uh the you know we're getting david letterman leaving traditional television to start a netflix show um big leaps being taken but of course 2015 was a year of darkness and great tragedy as well. <laughs> after spending... Stop laughing! You're talking about after spending 10 years together, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner decided to break up um, because oh. it was ir- irreconcilable differences. Uh, the biggest one of them being that Ben was caught shagging the nanny. Um, that... <laughs> It was not a difference they could uh, concile. Oh, um, nanny shagger Affleck was the God. nanny called. Je- <laughs> oh, nanny shagger was was the nanny called Jennifer as well because it would complete the hat trick of Jennifer's, <laughs> wouldn't it? You got Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Garner, and Jennifer the nanny. And seven years later, he's back with J Lo, mm. uh, and they're married. Uh, what an amazing turn! What an amazing turn of events! Um, right, we are we are ready. We are ready. primed. We're going to give another shout out. To the people that make it possible, Peter J, Mikey W, Zach Thomas, Randall Schmidt, Brandon Spagielski, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, and Sue P. Thank you guys for doing the right thing. Will? I look forward to one day in the future where the shout-out becomes impossible to do because there's Me too. too. Many Me days. too. Me too. We, I look forward to, until then. I'm really happy to hear these names being shouted out before we dive into it. Anyway. Could, literally could not do this show without those people could not do it anyway let's press play episode one aka ladies night opening narration new york may be the city that never sleeps but it sure does sleep around not that i'm complaining cheaters are good for business a big part of the job is looking for the worst in people turns out i excel at that clients hire me to find dirt and i find it which shouldn't surprise them but it does Knowing it's real means they gotta make a decision. One, do something about it. Or two, keep denying it. Shoot the messenger. Tell me I get off on ruining their <clears throat> lives. Option two rarely works out. Like, the... The, ah, the title sequence gave me a huge amount of confidence in this series. Mm. 
it had the plinky planky jangly kind of strains of sort of jazz slow yeah. like like I'm, I'm i was immediately thinking of a of a smoky bar somewhere yep. um the they, they'd used um david max paintings or, mm. or some taken some of his digital art to and used it although depicting um Kristen Ritter, um, Kristen Ritter. I don't know why is it like Kristen Ritter um, mm. as as the character, and then that narration is she's taken a picture of of these two dirty, dirty animals. Um, yeah, it just it really put me in it. How about you? I right away. I mean, I, 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 the whole film noir style of the opening credits, and then you yeah. get this. Theme tune, obviously, as you said, has the plinky plonky piano and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is like a typical. And I think you hear a double bass in the, as the uh, yeah, as well. you yeah. get this great feel. But then it sort of heats up, and then you get this incredible like sort of new noir guitar soloing with it as well. So it's like it, oh, it's a great theme tune because it's it's tr- almost like it's trying to break out of the film noir to feel more dramatic, like a superhero affair. Then goes back into it, so it really it encapsulates the theme. Mm. Uh, and and the feel of the entire series and the whole like genre of it so well in a theme tune. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, let's get on with the story. In New York City, hard drinking, superhuman private investigator Jessica Jones photographs two people having sex in an alley. A what woman- a way to start a Marvel thing. Yeah. Right. Sex in alley. That's how we. That like you know in the same way that. The alias comic started with the F word. It felt yeah. like they were putting front and centre. This is going to be a bit dirty. This ain't your dad's Marvel show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a woman having an affair. As per instructions from her latest client, the husband later appears in Jessica's office arguing about the evidence she's uncovered before Jessica smashes him through a window. The next day, Jessica barges into the law offices of Hogarth, Chow and Benowitz, LLP, to speak with name partner Jerry Hogarth. Jessica is hard up for cash and desperate for another paying gig. Hogarth is annoyed that Jessica turned down a staff job as the company's permanent investigator, but Jessica assures Hogarth that she doesn't play well with others. Hogarth eventually gives Jessica a new job. A subpoena to deliver regarding a case where a dancer at a strip club was hurt in a suspicious accident. Rather than representing the injured stripper, Hogarth's firm represents a big company who want to buy up the strip club by any means necessary. So already, we say it's got the noir feel of a show. Refreshing to see this sort of thing happening in the MCU. Uh, obviously, when we get down to it later, I mean, we saw in Phase One there was some playing around with genre. You had the period piece of Captain America. You had the Shakespearean epic of Thor. And later on, we get, we, we're still getting more little genre play arounds. We've got horror. We've got fantasy. We've got cosmic Star Wars nonsense. We've got you know everything. What what genre? What genre lays uncovered? We haven't done rom coms yet. It's the it's the wide kind of um, the wide reaching layers of the of the Marvel universe. The comic books kind of have that that similar feel to it. It's wonderful exactly. to be able to get that. Although they all generally are action adventure orientated, to be able to yeah. have. Something that's very sci-fi in Iron Man, then something or Guardians of the Galaxy, then something that's very fantasy in Thor, and then something uh, like you know Punisher on Moon Knight or or Jessica Jones is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's so good. It just it just this is the reason why I'm in it for the long run because I 
you can you can some people argue oh it's the same thing over and over again and it's like no, no it's nonsense that nonsense okay there are certain like uh, things they do that that you know that they, they they sometimes repeat like the third act is always a big fight but it's like come uh, on every every action adventure movie is like that <laughs> <laughs> it is if you it if is. you watch if you watch a Star Wars movie and a Fast and the Furious movie and a and a Jurassic World movie um, three in 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 three months. And you don't come out of that going, oh, action adventure movies are just all the same. But yeah. you do come out of three Marvel movies going, oh, they're all, then you're like, you're bad faith, man. You're yes, a bad a, faith actor. You're lying to yourself to you. Bad can faith actor. Be cool. Fake news. Uh, get out my kitchen. Uh, also, get out of my kitchen. Get out of my says kitchen. Will. Put the bin back. You uh, don't live here. Yeah. I'm also, making eggs. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> also, great to see Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, she, she is so absent these days. I don't see her in yeah. anything. No, no, this and then it was the the new Matrix sequel. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. Any good? The the start. Yeah. Is I think I've said this to you. I thought it was. I thought I was in for uh, one of the best sequels I've ever seen, or reboots, or whatever you want. Mm. The start of it was very interesting in what mm. they were doing and then it just became a matrix movie and i was disappointed oh i'll watch it at some point i really don't want to because the sequels before that were diminishing returns but yeah anyway so rob 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 how do we meet uh first meet jessica jones in the comic books it's it's very similar to this um Good. Issue one of, of Alias starts with an argument happening in her office just like this. It's the it's the husband who hired mm. her. Um, and then when he gets the evidence he hired her for, he turns on her and he starts saying, Oh, I bet you get off on this and da 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 and mm. and just like this she uh she lamps him through the um <laughs> through the, 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 the window of her of her office. Um, yeah. but the secret that Jessica uncovers in, in the comics is not that his wife is having an affair, but that his wife is secretly a mutant. Oh, very so, nice. Very yeah, nice. the Marvel Universe in the comics is much bigger than the MCU. Mm. Um, and, and, and because of that, all of Jessica's cases are connected or, or related to the world of of superpowers. Right, um, that so makes a- sense. Alias, yeah, Alias, the comic is about the people on the fringes of, of this superpowered world, like like Jessica is. Um, people who are more connected than a regular civilian, uh, but not quite in the superhero world hmm. or the superhuman world. So it's about how damaging um, and dangerous it can be for these people who sort of fall through the cracks. Yeah. Um, and so, and they... they, they so in the in the in the TV show, when the guy crashes through the plate glass window, Jessica kind of sticks her head out um, and delivers a line lifted entirely from the, the comic. The end of the very first scene, Jessica leans out the window in the comic, uh, and we get the same line in the, in the TV show and says, "And then there's the small matter of your bill." Um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, yeah, that's um, that was nice to see. Very nice to see. The na- later that evening, Jessica tries to go to bed but is agitated, unable to sleep or be alone with her thoughts. She gets ready for another late night of snooping off the clock, bringing a bottle of Jack Daniels before leaving. Leaping up a fire escape to spy on an apartment across the street, she catches sight of her target, a local bar owner sleeping with one of his customers. Just then, 
a malevolent voice whispers to her, You want to do it, don't you? Causing her to have a panic attack as she stares through the window at the couple undressing. It's uh, great to see a Marvel character with this amount of human uh, vulnerability. I know we talk about like uh, alter egos and day-to-day problems, particularly Spider-Man, but we're seeing a different kind of vulnerability here. I, I definitely, because uh, I've you know I've suffered with mental health problems, anxiety, and depression, yeah. and, and and some trauma stuff, and I've in the same way had that thing that you could just. Maybe it's only if you've been through it, but you could, that bit where she looks at the bed and you know the nighttime is the hardest mm. when you're lying down with nothing but your own thoughts. Oh, God, it's all And it's dark and there's nothing to distract you or think about anymore except your own problems. It's like and, when the headphones come out of your ears or the headphones stop working and you have to think. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you could, I could just, I could feel, I could really feel that when mm. she, when she kind of, gets undressed and then stares at that bed and there's this kind of resignation and she yeah. lies down as soon as she lies down and like like I've I can't tell you how many times I've I've had that and, and struggled with sleep and stuff. It's awful. So it was um yeah it's very it is a very you're right it's, it's relatable in a different way, isn't it? Incredible. And just like the theme tree, the soundtrack throughout the entire show, so on point, it just it just con- continues delivering. The score, I think, yes. Yeah. Oh yes <laughs> I believe it's the score. Well to me soundtrack is Popular songs used in a, in, a, in, a, in the thing, yes, and the score yeah. is the incidental music that is there to uh, carry emotion and, and and pace and tone. It's to tell you how to feel, Rob. It's this so you, you know how to feel. Yeah. So in the Marvel comics, does Jessica go around snooping with a camera like this? I assume that's pretty much the gist, right? Yeah, her very yeah. first case um, sees her hired to track down a woman's missing sister. Um, she finds the missing sister and starts following her around to see what's gone on and why she's gone missing and why she's not, you know, um, in contact with the family anymore. And she's Jessica is kind of suspicious about this guy that keeps visiting her. He's always wearing a hat, and she's like, "Why can't I ever see your face?" So she films the couple mm. and discovers that the sister's boyfriend is secretly Captain America. Um, this is back when in in the comic books. Superhero secret identities were still a big deal. Steve Rogers was not publicly known as Captain America. Mm. He had a secret identity. Nobody knew who Captain America was, just like every other superhero. And now Jessica is like, I now have accidentally discovered this huge piece of information, the secret identity of one of the biggest heroes on the planet. Um, And the tape she has of this is now like this incendiary device in her bag she's like i i don't know what to do with this and then the woman the girlfriend turns up dead the next day oh wow um and jessica realizes as the the client that hired her turns out to not exist she realizes she's been set up um she's some shady people are positioning her into into being a patsy for something or other and Captain America's secrets are uh, about to be exposed, so, yeah. Oh, my word. The next morning... That sounded so lame. Oh, my word. I know, it sounded a bit performative. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a podcast, and therefore, an audio performance. (laughs) I'm such a twat. Anyway, the next morning, a very hungover Jessica wakes up in her dingy apartment and office to find that Malcolm, her drug-addicted neighbour, has confused her apartment for his apartment 
and wandered into a kitchen for something to eat. As she throws out her unwanted visitor, Jessica is greeted at her door by Barbara and Bob Schlotman, asking for help finding their missing daughter, Hope. The couple says that their daughter abruptly changed her routine, stopped calling them, stopped answering their messages, and just vanished. Needing the money, Jessica takes the case and starts digging into Hope's background. She tracks down an old friend of Hope's and breaks into their apartment to get some answers. Hope's friend claims that Hope isn't missing. She is just shacked up with a man she met recently. Jessica steals some of Hope's mail, including her credit card information. Her throwing a boot at the ceiling was, was a funny, relatable moment. <laughs> throwing her boot I don't remember that throwing her oh, boot at the ceiling oh there was some loud stuff like, yeah, right it's like yeah because yeah, yeah. there are moments in this we'll get on to where she uses a superpower in a way that's almost kind of wish fulfillment like, yeah totally yeah and I like, like, like being able to just go boom with the boot was just good uh, <laughs> Kirsten Ritter is, Kirsten, is it Kristen or Kirsten Ritter I, I, I get those names mixed up all I the time I think it's Kristen but Kristen I, Ritter yeah. uh, the, the previous time I saw her was Breaking Bad it's the only other show I've ever seen her in and uh, it didn't take me it took me to, until I rewatched Breaking Bad some of it going oh my god it's Jessica Jones I completely um, forgot and I haven't seen her in anything else is there anything else she pops up in that's worth watching do you know don't trust the bitch in apartment 23 a really, really funny sitcom. Oh, it wow, only okay. got like 10 or 13 episodes and then was cancelled. Mm. It's really good. Okay. Um, it stars James Vanderbeek playing uh, James <laughs> Vanderbeek. He plays an exaggerated version of himself as this uh, completely self obsessed, uh, v- uh, vapid um, you know, actor. Oh, um, he gets into a feud with Dean Cain on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, it's, brilliant! It's and 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 Kristen Ritter plays um, plays this really vapid but lovable kind of socialite girl, um, and um, it's really it's really good. I, I I enjoy the hell out of it. And I was actually I was I didn't love the casting on paper of this mm. of, of 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 Ritter as Jessica Jones. Kristen Ritter, like, has modelled good looks. Yeah. She has quite like a, you know, she kind of looks a little delicate. You know, she's very, you know, she's got this kind of porcelain skin. She looks quite delicate. um, She has them, she has very goth chick vibes. I don't. I I know you said that. I don't. I don't get goth chick from her. And and Jessica Jones, I get. Kind of a tomboy rock person, but not goth. Goth Maybe. is very goth is generally a lot more elaborate in the makeup and everything else. Well, when I say goth chick, I mean a sort of like you know, kind of almost like nineties, like nineties, like old retired goth, old yeah. retired goth. Yeah, because you've okay. got the the porcelain skin, the jet black hair, the so miserable I, look. I wasn't. Lo- I I didn't. You know, I I, I liked the sitcom. Mm. Uh, I guess I liked her in Breaking Bad, uh, but I was. Like if you look at those pictures of Jessica in the in the, yeah. in the comic book series, and again, I'm not I'm not one for like to like casting, but it just did strike me that it was odd to cast such like someone that was you know literally used to be a model and has that kind of mm. front cover magazine good looks to be this kind of regular average person. That, yeah, like, in the it's meant to be able to like blend into the background that's kind of like jessica's like whole a, thing like Andrew um, garfield as spider-man <laughs> a little bit yeah um so i was yeah i was not uh, yeah but she is 
fantastic in this series. She so really once again, job. I was wrong. Um, yeah. the, ca- the casting at Marvel is usually really, really good. Mm. They, they, they really did a good job this time. That evening, Jessica skulks outside the strip club, waiting for the owner, Gregory Spheris. Spheris refuses to talk to Jessica and drives off in an expensive sports car. But Jessica stops the car in its tracks with superhuman strength, lifting the back wheels of the car off the road. Spheris is shocked but still refuses to accept the subpoena until Jessica implies that she could burn him with her laser eyes. A terrified Spheris takes the subpoena and flees. Okay, so we've got superhuman strength here. I assume the laser eyes was a joke because not many people know about you know the ins and outs of superhuman people. Uh, but what what exactly are Jessica's powers in the comic books? She does cop. I mean, it presents it as a joke as she yeah. says it, and kind of later on when she's on the phone to to Jerry, mm. um, she does cop to that being you know not something she could do. Um, her powers. So yeah, in the comic books, she has superhuman strength and and durability. She is much stronger in the comic books. Mm. Um, she is shown being able to lift a a police car over her head. Wow! You know, a two ton police car with with quite little effort, which is not something you get the vibe of in this. No, she can break through locks and stuff like that, but. Um, and she's, you know, it's a durability and things like that. Mm. And a big difference to the TV show in the Marvel universe, Jessica Jones can fly, mm. not just jump, but full on fly through the sky. Yeah. Um, that being said, she hates flying and is terrible at it. Um, certainly by the by the time of the of, of Alias, she talks about as she's got older, there's kind of like an inner ear thing. Her balance, yeah. you know how like the older you get, you can't go on on roller coasters anymore. Yeah, your inner ear gets really it changes over the years. I didn't know that. Mm. The inner ear thing. Yeah. So wow. there's that, but also it it so there's <laughs> there is a a, a a a sequence where she like misses her landing like she grabs onto the end of a building and pulls herself up and someone is like you still can't hit them landings then right and she's like shut the fuck up <laughs> i hate this um and it said that like she's she's horrible at flying and it's something along the lines of it's like the 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 less you fly the worse you get at it and she just hasn't been flying for a long time so yeah she just doesn't do it as a, um, as a comedian not doing or ex-comedian at this point really whatever I'll, I'll, I'll still use the term uh, Covid like stopping you and then coming back felt like that <laughs> well I have to say like, it's like I mean it's the opposite of riding a bike isn't it yeah um, you, there is some stuff that you just have to keep the muscle memory going and things exactly um, but I heard ben, uh, read Bendis uh, or did he hear this interview I can't remember I think I read it in an interview he, they, they said is there anything like that you'd wish that you think the TV show did better than the comic book series Alias? Mm. And he said he loved the way they presented her leaping and her super, you know, yeah. as in as she leaps, the camera like kind of pans away. It gives this impression of we're not really interested in this. Yeah. And he said I kind of wish there was a facility within comic books to kind of recreate that. He said because I he said I love the way they depicted the leaping as. Mm. An afterthought, and yeah, she can do it, but the the it drags your eye away to something else, a building or something else. And he said, I kind of wish there was a way of doing that because every time she would leap or or, or semi fly in the comics, I felt like it was slightly just kind of changing a little bit about the street levelness of the of the comic. 
and going back to a do it to a straight superhero thing. Yeah, I get that. In the middle of the night, Jessica wakes up in shock. It's clear that she's suffering from PTSD. She then receives a late night call from Jerry, who's having an affair with her assistant Pam. Unable to get back to sleep, she goes snooping around the bar of the local man she has been following and photographing. Getting caught in the act, the bar owner introduces herself himself, sorry, as Luke Cage and offers her free drinks if she comes inside, telling her that it's ladies' night. At the end of the night, as the bar empties, Luke and Jessica start talking about their different lines of work, which leads to flirting and eventually sex. After going to the bathroom at Luke's flat, she spots a photograph of a woman she recognises. Luke says that it's a picture of his dead wife. Jessica makes an excuse and leaves. I like the uh, the subtle nods that this does take place in the MCU without it being thrown in your face. We discussed this a little, you know, many times before, but they get. I think they get the balance just right. What, like, what the? Um, I know from the Daredevil series, we there was mm. talk of the Battle of Manhattan and stuff. What, what are we seeing in this? I, I don't think I picked up on it in this one. I, I, I thought I was just saying it in a more general oh, way. In a general sense. Example. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll okay, say, okay, cool, okay. I'm yeah. not bringing example to the table, Rob. Let no, me be general. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah sure. Though I think, well, there's, I think maybe what you're talking about is the conversation that she has with Spheris, where mm. he says something like, "You're one of them." One of them. Um, yeah. Which just, is just little things, little sprinkles. Yeah. 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 yeah, and very again, more very human stuff. The the regretful fling. Yeah. I really like the the. the um, I thought Luke and Jessica had good chemistry, but I also I really felt like there was that you know that thing that is like when you kind of open the door to flirting before you start flirting. It felt like there was a lot yeah. of that going on in this pl- like it was I just thought they played it really well and it mm. it brought back not necessarily particular memories but it made me there was I could recognize bits of that and go oh I really feel I'm really feeling the vibe here um and I thought that was uh, that was good I like Luke's line she's like why do I get free drinks and he's like well you're hot and you're drinking alone which is just good for business <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, that yeah, was I good. remember that <laughs> logical in the original stories, though, is there actually a relationship between uh, Jessica and Luke? Yeah, uh, Luke is one of the few superpowered people that Jessica knows in in the mm. comics. In the first issue of Alias, um, Jessica is drunk and depressed. She goes to a local bar, which is owned by Luke Cage. Luke Cage, at this stage in in Marvel, is another one of these seventies characters that kind of um has fallen by the wayside mm. there was an attempt to kind of revive the character in the 90s but it didn't really work or last um and as we get to 2001 2000 2001 when this comic comes out nothing's really been done with him for a while yeah um and we also have a lot of writers now like bendis who were reading comics when they were kids in the 70s and now they're right so like luke cage is one of brian michael bendis's favorite characters in marvel so when right. when he when he's in the year two thousand one and he's writing comics for a living, he gets like nobody else wants the character. It's one of his favorites, so he really he puts him in Daredevil, he puts him in Jessica Jones. Eventually, he puts him in the Avengers when he writes that because he loves the character. I always um, find that when we've talked about um, 
some characters in the past it was it wasn't down to a major decision within marvel it was down to a particular writer's yeah. love of that character and i yeah. i love that autonomy behind it i love that yeah um and so like luke cage hasn't really been doing anything for a while he's presented in this and in daredevil as almost as retired um like he talks about owning this bar and that's kind of about it, really. He says he doesn't do the superhero, the cape, you know, the capes and the tights anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so they they end up they end up hooking up in that first issue, and the comic shows us a very controversial sex scene. It is Ooh. presented as an anal sex scene. Oh my! Um, the focus is entirely on the on the. It's a full page. The focus is entirely in different panels on jessica's face as she grits her teeth through pain um mm. and her internal monologue reveals that it's a scene where she wants to feel something very very intense she wants to feel pain and anger and humiliation um and she's kind of and this is like and she's like she just she says this thing of like um to begin with she says uh like I, like I, like Luke's gonna regret this because he's a bud, he's a bud of mine, and he's gonna feel bad <laughs> about this tomorrow. But also, he's gonna really you know, the fact that this is the one night I let him do whatever he wanted. He's gonna you know he's never gonna forget this. Mm. Um, and but then it, it is presented to us as a scene where Jennifer is punishing herself with this kind of painful sex in the same way she does with her drinking. It's oh. the same part of. She's trying to distract herself from her PTSD, distract herself from her thoughts and her feelings, feel something different, numb the pain, feel something else, do something, you know. So that's the the presentation of this intense scene. This is a scene that gets Marvel's printing partners that print their comics to refuse to print this comic, Alias Issue 1. Wow. They rejected it. Um, some have said they refused it because it was an intense sex scene. Others have said it was because it was an interracial couple having sex, and this Uh-oh. was a uh, a pu- printing publisher in a state that you may or may not think has issues with interracial <laughs> relationships. This is what Brian Michael Bendis certainly thinks and believes in his said interviews. He said, "Alias Number One was rejected by the printer for content. There's no nudity in that book." But we found out that they did not appreciate the interracial relations, and oh. it was a printing. It was a printer that printed pornography, actual fetish pornography. But they weren't happy with an interracial relationship in a comic. Wow! Um, the scene itself drew heavy criticism. Stanley mm. ha- does not like Alias. Has gone on record saying uh, that he hates that this comic and this scene exists in the Marvel universe. Oh, um, come on. There are some people as well that got the wrong end of the stick, either with good faith or bad faith. Mm. And they said, it is shameful that in this scene, Jessica is seen to be punishing herself by having sex with a black man. Bendis has responded loudly, publicly, numerous times saying, Mm. that is not the intent or what is presented. She's punishing herself with this type of sex. It just happens to be Luke Cage because I love Luke Cage and I include him in every comic I write at Marvel. Um, and he really, really wanted to partner these two characters together um, as the series progresses. Um, but yeah, that's um, again whether it was good faith or bad faith in which they they uh, took that scene. They 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 are, I believe, and so does the creator and the people involved misrepresenting it when they say that. 
I did not expect that amount. I, I expected some amount of controversy, but not that amount. They Jeez. couldn't use their printer. That's uh, insane. Mad. 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 And printers, there's a long history of, of, of printers having problems with race in comics. Um, there are issue, There are examples of like including black characters in comics in the early days in the in the well in the sixties and stuff, mm. and they come back as a white character because the printer. We talked about this with uh, I think Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. Mm. They came back. You know, one of the black characters is presented as white because the printer could not even fathom that there might be a black character and black main <laughs> character. Um, I think it wow. happens in a Star Trek comic as well that is published mm. in the 60s or the 70s they they like ahura is white because they just they've never seen the show and they're like this must be an error make her a white woman um yeah printers insane. man yeah insane the next day jessica continues her investigation into hope's disappearance she follows a trail of hope's movements based on her credit card purchases jessica eventually arrives at a chinese restaurant that she was last seen at. Questioning one of the waiters, she discovers that when Hope was here with her companion, this mystery person made a firm request for a table, an expensive bottle of champagne, and an Italian dish that was not on the menu, leading to the waiter apparently losing his mind and succumbing to the man's wishes. Again, Jessica starts having a panic attack. She knows exactly who this mystery man is. I th um, they really caught the panic of her situation well in this show. They, in this moment, you you get that sort of suffocating feeling because, I, 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 you know, we, 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 we've talked to each other about mental health stuff and every, I, I've had that where you get that horrible suffocating, like, I can't breathe, yeah. I'm panicking. It's all, and, they, and it was, the, they, they got that so, they nailed it in this scene so well. What I'd like to talk to you about is... I'm going into this series knowing what this is all about. Having read the comics, I know what this secret is, why she's in a panic. I know what the whole history is, right? So mm. I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be little, then there are little differences, but I know that, that what's happening is we're going down the line of the, of the Purple Man of Kilgrave. Mm. What did you, th at this stage, when this kind of panic is coming out, and what do you think, like, how is it presented to you, and how are you reading it, and what do you, you know... Not what you think it's about necessarily, but it does. It, it doesn't seem it, the fact that you're not given all the answers at this stage. How does that? It's this is this is this is the thing um, because I think people told me about the nature of the show before I watched it. I did pretty much connect the dots at that point, and I went, "She knows this person because you, uh, we will find out later." Uh, she was previously abused by this person, so it's bringing back horrible memories. Well, that's a shame. You should have lied to protect the uh, the show. <laughs> what? I, I did, You're what? the ignorant one. It's really frustrating when you've found something from Wikipedia or been. It wasn't from Wikipedia. Told it was you something. It was literally people lie. Telling me, oh, lie about show? it. We'd never know. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Circle the airport, Will. <laughs> Circle the airport until Rob says okay, it's safe so that, to that, land. That, that talking point uh, hit a brick wall. Let's uh, let's carry on then. No, we. Oh God, this... 
That, that, that felt like a talking point, but you laid down a railway track and went, I hope What's Will the talking to- point? The talking point, I said, what is it like for you? As so many people, the representative people have never read thing, what is it like for not knowing where this scene is going? And you said, I know where the scene is going. Okay. Well, I, 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 well the thing is, look, I, I, I picked up on the Coe's conventions and the language of cinema and what not to go, ah, I see what's going on. I, right, so you didn't, I'm confused. Did well, you know or didn't you know? What, about what? About the, the the mind control and the reveal and all of that, and what well, the history was. Not not about the mind control and stuff, but it it obviously it felt like it was towards mind control. But I didn't think it, I didn't know if it was explicitly mind control. But I knew it was a persuasive a man who had persuasive right, okay. powers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's Rob, interesting. Yeah it it was one of those things because I I didn't know, it. you know. There are so many ways to persuade people. But you are decoding it then. I'm decoding. I mean, the, it. the fact that the the conversation is, I don't know. You know, I thought I lost my mind. Why would I give him a five hundred dollar bottle of wine and stuff? Yeah, because like yeah. when people start saying that, you're eliminating so many possibilities that it's either mind control or something else or pher- pheromones, maybe. Especially know. in Marvel, you know, oh, in a, in, a, in a superhero-y type thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're immediately going to think, oh, it could be mind control. It could be, yeah. or there could be some other fantastic Professor thing. X that's, again. That's what old, I mean. up to his old tricks. Rob uh, has allowed me to land at the airport. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway. At the slotsman's room, Jessica frantically questions them about who referred them to her. They revealed it is it was a man with an English accent. Worried by this information, Jessica tells the parents to get somewhere safe. After hassling Jerry for early payment for the job she did, Jessica sneaks into the apartment of talk show host and her foster sister, Trish Walker. Jessica needs to borrow money from Trish, but there's tension between the two because Jessica has completely cut Trish out of her life. Jessica tells Trish that he's back and they can't go to the police about this mystery man as his powers of persuasion are too powerful. This is the man who's responsible for Jessica's PTSD and right now she needs money to flee from the city. Jessica reveals that this man, Kilgrave, is taking hope to recreate the anniversary dates he used to force Jessica to endure. She knows his next step will be a very specific hotel in the city. Again, the overwhelming of sense of fear and paranoia really growing here. It really feels strong. Especially because we're seeing our lead character essentially flee, run away. That's the, you know, the... the mm. So we re- we should react in the same way they do. If they're, it's relatable. If they're just, yeah, if they're just like, I, I can't say I have to run away and get away from this, that makes it all the more scary for you, the viewer. Yeah, you can really relate to that. We, 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 we've known when things happen, we don't want to see someone, you know, like like whether it's been a bully from school or someone you just don't, and you go, right, I'm, going, I'm getting out of here. I don't feel mm. comfortable. I need to leave. And this is the next step. This is like an abusive ex uh, or stalker or something like that. But with Marvel, there, you know, there is that supernatural element where it's mm. like something that we can't exactly relate to, but the, the primal, pure aspect, core of the emotion of the situation, we, we get it. We yeah. absolutely get it. Also, uh, this is the second uh, time that Rachel Taylor, who plays Trish, has appeared in a Marvel project. She was previously Terry Elizabeth Richard in 2005's Man-Thing. Oh, yes. Marvel's first horror movie. Marvel's first horror movie. Of course. Well done. Good catch. Good spot. Uh, That was was a weird one. There's another character when we get get to her. 
Uh, there's another character I spotted as well from another TV show, but we'll get to her in a bit. But in the meantime, uh, Trish Walker. She's obviously a character from the comic books, I imagine. Uh, I, I can't imagine her not being a character from the comic books. She sounds she sounds like a comic book character. That's a, that's a flashy name. Strap in. Strap off. Bloody hell, Rob. In the comic books, Jessica has this kind of strained relationship, but it's with Carol Danvers. Yeah. Uh, we when we see them first interact, Danvers is still holding a bitter grudge against Jessica for sleeping with Danvers' ex-boyfriend. Um, that's where a lot of that tension comes through, even though they used to be friends. As we learn in your uh, behind-the-scenes section, Carol Danvers was originally going to then be involved in this show, mm. um, as as this was sort of conceived of and Alias is conceived of back when. Um, Danvers is very much kind of a smaller character in the Marvel Universe. She's not Captain Marvel, um, and she's not like a major, a major prominent character. But then she gets earmarked for, you know, as as we talked about earlier, you know, sometimes these intellectual properties come back around and suddenly you go, well, actually, we could probably sell a movie on the back of this character. So she's not in it, and we get Trish Walker, mm. who does not feature in the Alias comics at all. Is not connected to Jessica Jones. Trish is uh, nicknamed Trish Patricia, Patricia Walker. And in the comic books, Patricia Walker, better known as Patsy Walker, predates the Marvel Universe by decades. Here and we go. Is one of the oldest Marvel characters you'll find. I am loving this already. Rivaling <laughs> Captain America and Namor. 1944, before Marvel exists as Marvel, and it is known as Timely Comics, um, there is Miss American Magazine, which is a comic magazine which uh, targets uh, young female readers, and they print stories about Patsy and Hedy, Patsy Walker and her best friend Hedy. One of them is red-haired, one of them is dark-haired, and they're essentially the Timely Comics equivalent of Archie's Betty and Veronica characters. Okay, I've never read which, Archie comics, have you? Haven't you just started reading loads of the modern ones? I haven't read any of them. I haven't oh, read I th- any Archie comics. What did you just start reading? What, a recent- modern version of an old type of comic. Do you want to start reading through DC? Oh, Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera, that's it. Because okay. they did a whole run where they did a yeah. twist on Hanna-Barbera cartoons and they're really good. That's you can right, get them on yeah. DC I, I confuse that with Archie because of the kind of the cartoons and stuff. Archie comics, Easy you know, it's Archie and, and all that kind of stuff. And mm. the the big thing with, with, um, with Archie was that it was two girls that he was romantically interested in, Betty and Veronica. They're best friends, but they're also love rivals. One's blonde, one's dark-haired. They, you know, that's, that's kind of... And it's all based on the... In the kind of the older set of the world. Um, this was kind of like Timely's equivalent of that. Teen girls getting into mischief, dating boys, uh, rivalries with each other for boys' affection. Mm. Patsy is the Patsy Walker, the red-headed girl next door. And she appears in Miss America magazine, teen comics, girls' life. And then eventually gets her own, not even eventually, quite quickly gets her own comic book series called Patsy Walker, which is in the teen humor genre of comics. Um <laughs> Patsy's so popular, she gets a number of spin-off comics as well. Patsy and Hedy, uh, Patsy and her pals, a date with Patsy. Um, Patsy Walker is a bit of a, a real thing in the 40s. The character of Patsy Walker is so popular that the comic is published from the 40s into the 50s when Timely becomes Atlas Comics, and then 
it, Pat, Patsy Walker is still being published in the 60s when Atlas Comics becomes Marvel. <laughs> no other, like, <laughs> I think the Two Gun Kid or the Rawhide Kid did the same, and maybe Millie the Model. I think those are the only ones that survive all these mm. changes. Um, in the 60s, Patsy, the character in Patsy the comic, graduates from high school, and the comic book switches from teen humor to the genre of romantic adventure and she becomes a 60s career woman um secretary or something um and then just for a laugh stanley and jack kirby include um patsy and hedy in a cameo in one of the fantastic four annuals um Ooh, okay one of very very early in the and it's just like literally a throwaway easter egg reference mm. like but, howard the duck in guardians of the galaxy yeah yeah but it also kind of suggests i mean it depends how you want to take it but it suggests that they're they are part of the marvel universe mm. um but a writer called steve uh, steve angelhart had other ideas when he saw this throwaway easter egg cameo he liked the character Patsy Walker, and in 1972, he decides to bring Patsy Walker back to the Marvel Universe and turn her into a superhero. Okay. She shows up uh, helping Hank McCoy, the Beast, and then going on a few adventures with the Avengers. And it was really weird because she's just a normal person, a redheaded <laughs> woman. Um, and then she inherits superpowers. She finds a cat costume, which gives her cat-based superpowers. I like this. So, so she's friends with Hank McCoy. She really wants to be a superhero. And then she just finds this superhero costume and becomes one. Um, we now have to talk about another obscure Marvel superhero. Um, Hit me with it. Hit uh, me. A female character called The Cat who had, in the 70s, a bright yellow costume, claws, blue gloves, and a blue mask. Not that different from Wolverine. Um, right. Uh, the cat was a woman who underwent some sort of scientific experiment to enhance her abilities and got a, given a costume full of cat gadgets, uh, like claws and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then decided, this was stupid! And so she took the costume off and stopped being a cat. That character later eventually was transformed into a human cat and becomes the <laughs> character called Tigra. Anyway, oh, Patsy, Patsy Walker then mm. finds the old cat costume and says, I want to be a fucking cat. Um, <laughs> so she puts the bright yellow costume on, calls mm. herself Hellcat. Um, and, you know, she's said to have, you know, athletic abilities. She's just mm. a normal person. The Avengers are so impressed that they immediately offer her a place on the Avengers alongside Thor. <laughs> <laughs> but she turns them down and goes to uh goes to one of the moons of Titan, one of the moons mm. of Saturn to learn how to have mental telepathy powers. <laughs> oh my god. And then she joins Doctor Strange's team, the Defenders, alongside Hulk the Silver Surfer, Namor the Submariner. Yeah. Uh, oof, that's a lot. In the 80s, yeah. uh, it's revealed in, in issues of the Defenders that, um, you know, Hellcat is a you know superhero now. They reveal that the earlier teen humor stories from the 40s and 50s hmm. uh, exist within the Marvel Universe as fictional comic books. 
Um, oh, so this it's it's a meta they were, thing. They were written yeah. by Patsy's mother, Dorothy Walker, who wanted to push her daughter into being a star. We see elements yeah. of that in this series, yeah. and the comics are said to be based on on Patsy's own life and her friends and stuff. Uh, then she marries the son of Satan. Becomes, <laughs> becomes a paranormal no, no. investigator. No, no, no. By the nineties, so- she's been driven mad by living with the son of Satan, kills herself, and literally goes to hell. The end. <laughs> you, you're supposed to make me brace for that, Rob. <laughs> I and said, strap in at the start. Yeah, Rob, Rob, Rob. I, I strapped in, but I didn't strap in hard enough. You're supposed to <laughs> say, check your buckles. Marvel versus you... Marvel. Always strap in hard. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I am really glad I asked the question now, because that was a journey. And wow. some of that is important in later seasons of this okay. series. Well, I'll, I'm getting on it soon after yeah. I've finished Sopranos and other things. At a hotel, Jessica trips the fire alarm and feels the presence of the mystery man all around her as she enters the hotel room where Hope is kept. Inside the bedroom, she finds Hope lying on the bed. Jessica asks if Kilgrave is there. Sorry, is still here, but how, uh, how long ago he left? Kilgrave has the ability to make people do as he says, and he has told Hope to lie on the bed. Hope tells Jessica that she's been stuck there for five hours, unable to leave, and that she has even wet the bed. Jessica tries to carry Hope out, but Kilgrave's power causes Hope to go into a frenzy, fighting and clawing to try and stay, and begging Jessica to put her back. That's an intense scene. That is intense, isn't it? The way... Oh, God, it's just... And the way that there's, it's like, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, it's sci-fi, but it's not, it's, de- it's not, de- there's no special effects, there's no, do you know what I mean? It's, it's just, the, it's, it's the, like, it's like presenting someone as being intensely brainwashed. It's the implications of things, it's allowing your imagination to fill in what that must be like. I think it's, I think it's actually, the, for me, it's the, it's presenting it in a very real way makes it all the more scary yeah. and horrifying yeah um whereas you know someone in being mind controlled in an x-men movie or uh, some of the some of the movie with special in a effects, blank way yeah, yeah eyes going wide that's not as scary yeah. as this which is it's not that it's because it, it's it, it's beyond the thing of i can't move it's the screech desperate screaming and fighting to try and get back to the bed because that's what yeah. she's been told to do it's yeah it's it's, it's effective also uh kilgrave occasionally popping up sublimely that's just incredibly unsettling isn't it yeah it reminds me when i watched the exorcist for the first time the other year great movie incredible just, incredible just incredible movie but they did this wonderful thing that actually made me switch off the movie. It was like, you know, you reach that point in the evening and you go, I'm watching a scary movie, but I've had enough. No, yeah. that's yeah. been done. If, uh, when there's a point where the mother goes back to to, to their home and, they're in, and she's in the lobby or something, and it's a quick couple of frames, the face of uh. Pazuzu appears in the corner and it's a blink or you'll miss it moment. I live... I live for those moments. I think they're the best thing you could ever do in a hot. So I hate jump scares. I hate cheap shocks. If you can do something like that out of your peripheral, uh, just quickly like that, 
it immediately unsettles me without making it obvious. There was a series of great movies that got re-released when I was between the age of 16 and 18 and getting really into American movies and stuff. And Mm. The Exorcist was one of them. So I got to see it for the first time at the cinema. Um, And it was not a well-attended. It was like, it was was not a well-attended cinema. It's one of the scariest um, films and experiences I've had at the cinema. Watching it on on TV is very different and it doesn't affect me in the same way. But it was so atmospheric and unnerving in in that cinema in the dark alone like it would have been better if there were people around but it was i think it was like it wasn't even nighttime there was nobody in it was it was something else yeah how the script the uh, the book as well is is really is, is a really good read mm. uh, i read through it it's just really well written um there's one other uh, example of that that i really love and i'm re- and it's on the sopranos and i'm really annoyed because the sopranos podcast pod yourself again that i really love didn't mention it, and I'm. I, I want to write in and say, how dare you miss this out? There's a scene where uh, Big Pussy Bump and Cero, after they've killed him, a later thing in a party. Tony opens a door, like a, like at a party that has a mirror on it, and when he opens the mirror, the, the door and the mirror is sort of swinging around to see the rest of the corridor. For a, a second, you see Pussy Bump and Cero staring angrily back at him, and it's you. I, I missed it the first time, but on the second and third rewatch, I'm like. Oh my god! And it never gets mentioned again. It's not obvious, and it's right. such a a really blink or you miss it moment. And it's just oh my god, that was just tremendous. It was mm. a nice surreal moment. I love that stuff. Anyway, on a, on a lighter note, or should I say, a star lighter note, uh, <laughs> Hope is played by Erin Moriarty. Moriarty, sorry, who is better known these days as Starlight in The Boys. She's great in that. She's really good. She, I mean. Uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of season three of The Boys. Uh, I, I think it's uh, not, you know, it, it's a step down from season two, but she is really good in it. She's a fantastic uh, addition to the uh, to the cast in that. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Back at Jessica's flat, Jessica reveals that she too was once under Kilgrave's control. She tells Hope that Kilgrave's power wears off eventually with time and distance and that none of this is her fault. The next moment, Hope's parents enter to take their daughter home, with Hope hugging Jessica and thanking her for saving her life before she leaves. However, as the elevator doors close, Jessica sees Hope pull out a gun from her purse. Before Jessica can reach the elevator, she hears gunshots ring out. Jessica races down the stairs and finally meets the elevator on the ground floor. The door opens to reveal that Hope has murdered both her parents. Hope turns to look at Jessica and then chillingly tells her to smile. A moment later, Hope snaps out of Kilgrave's control, sees the bloody bodies of her parents and breaks down into screaming tears of anguish. Jessica flees the building and a taxi pulls up. She has the money to get on a plane and escape Kilgrave, but in the end, she chooses to stay. Wow! <clears throat> they uh, there's a great bit of subtext about abuse there when the uh, the line "None of this is your fault." Mm. That's that line rung out for me. I was like, "Oh, hello!" It's in the in the in the in the alias comic books. Jessica is not even at that place yet. She mm. has this big conversation with Luke Cage about how. She knows logically that this isn't her own fault, but but she 
it feel the things she did. She explains what Kilgrave's control is like. Yeah, and she says the things that I did feel exactly the same as the things I I I do now. The way he and he the the thing about Kilgrave is he makes you feel the way, the way he tells you to feel. Yeah. And so she is not Ooh. she she is not yet in the comic in the alias series past that point of she feels how he made her feel and you know doing something shooting somebody would feel exactly the same as if you chose to do it. And so she is not, you know, she has this thing of I guess I know logically it isn't my fault, but that yeah. is not how I feel. Yeah. Oh, the it, 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 there's there's mind control like you know controlling your body and but controlling the way you feel that's mm. even more insidious that's awful we'll get to it There's i mean to talk about needless to say great ending to the first episode yeah what a what a, what a first episode that i i i thought it had wrapped and i thought because it's the first episode i thought we've got enough there for us to be going on with mm. Um, I I didn't see it coming until you know there was once once there was a slow a slow down bit and you yeah. see I, I thought oh god but I I was I was um I was pretty shocked by it you know obviously yeah. I think you see it coming as she as you see hope smile but before that it felt like we got an I I just yeah I thought it was it is is this will the darkest thing we've ever seen. On Marvel versus Marvel, Rob, we've talked about so many dark stuff. Uh, it but it, me... it, you know, in the movies and TV shows, not in the not movies the, and TV shows, not the bonus stuff. Oh, I don't think there's anything darker than a young woman murdering her parents. Yeah, this is at the behest really of someone dark. that's been assaulting her. It's this, so dark. This is dark, incredibly dark. It's uh, it, yeah. I I can't. I mean, there's nothing else in the MCU that's darker than this. Yeah. And it's, I don't think there's anything outside. Nothing in the X Men. Like I know we talk about, you know, uh, the, the you know this end of the world or something, but that doesn't quite hit the same way as this, does it? No, no, no. It, it, it's an unimaginable tragedy, isn't it? This, this is, is cruel. This is yeah. Oh, this is cruel uh, and just savage. Mm. Oh god! But let's move away. Let, let's let's move away from that. Hopefully, onto something happier. Could you tell us about Jessica's background in the Marvel comics? I can do. I, we can move on to something happier, or I can tell you about Jessica's background in the comics. What do you, what do you want me to do? I can't. I can't fulfil both those obligations. I'm afraid. Okay. Could you tell me about Jessica's background in the comics, okay. and then say something nice at the end? Sure. <laughs> the big difference between the TV show and the comic books, yeah, is that in the Marvel universe in the comics, Jessica Jones used to be a superhero called mm. Jewel. Okay. Um, I've sent you the last image I sent you. Is a picture that we get in a flashback scene. They bring in another artist called Mark Bagley mm. and depict her as an actual superhero and, and see what she used to be like. Yeah, that's a completely different art style. Yeah, which is yeah. the intent. You only get it in the flashback, and then it's back to Gaylos's yeah. great work. So we learn it in the very first issue. It's one of the first things we see. The, the um, we see an old photograph um, in Jessica's office of her in costume as Jewel with mm. Carol Danvers and some other heroes. But we don't learn anything else about that. We know she used to be one. Other people know that's how she met Luke. Um, other people kind of remember her from that, but but we don't know anything else until a few years later. Uh, but as the Alias comic progresses, we do see these flashbacks and reveal 
that Jessica has been on the fringes of the superpowered Marvel universe mm. for a while. We see how her, kind of her origin story as a child, her father worked for Tony Stark. Um, mm. One day, um, the family car collides with a military convoy carrying radioactive chemicals. Her, her family is killed. Um, and Jessica it goes into a coma and she stays in that coma for several months when she wakes up her family are dead she's placed into into orphanage care does eventually get adopted by the the Jones family mm. and later discovers the radiation has um has mutated her body and it's it's granted her these powers mm. we see that she goes to Midtown High where she has a crush on her classmate Peter Parker Ooh. where she gets bullied by Flash Thompson and his crew um, she would later witness a fight between Spider-Man and the villain Sandman that happens in 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 her school. Wow. And these are the events that take place in the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, um, and that fight uh, from issue one of Amazing Spider-Man that's what inspires Jessica to put on a costume, mm. become a superhero, and and use her powers to try and help people. Um. So she's on the fringes of all of that. Yeah, yeah. To, towards the end, sort of in the second year, I think, of um, of the Alias series, we finally get some answers about her more recent history. We see that as Jewel, um, Jessica was a very un, uneventful, not very famous superhero, like a very uneventful career, um, until she... Uh, just randomly intervenes at a disturbance at a restaurant where mm. a bunch of patrons seem to be beating each other up very badly for no reason. Ooh. And that's when she sees the Purple Man, as he's known in the comics. Mm. Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man. And he immediately ensnares her. Um, Yikes. And he... Uh, the first thing he tells her to do is to take all her clothes off. But then the police arrive, so instead he commands her to go and uh, and you know cause a big disturbance and fight all the police off so he can uh, finish his meal. Um, <laughs> oh god! And that's the thing about the purple man. Um, mm. At some stage in his in his past, he he used to be a a more traditional supervillain, and then at yeah. one stage he had to, he has this fight with Daredevil, and he realizes I don't need to do any of this. I don't need to uh, gain power to have a, a gang of henchmen. I don't even need money. I can get anything and everything I want whenever I want. So mm. he literally says, I'm retiring from being a supervillain. And he believes himself to be a man of leisure now. He just takes whatever he wants whenever he wants. Um, Kilgrave likes Jessica so much he ensnares her and controls her for eight months. Yeah. It is explicitly said in Alias, this comic book series, that he never sexually assaults Jessica. Okay. Instead, what he does, Bendis has said he felt like that wasn't something he could, uh, as a male writer, he wasn't entirely sure he could write about that well enough. Mm. But it's explicitly said that that doesn't happen. So instead, what the Purple Man does in the comics is makes Jessica watch while he enslaves other women and assaults uh, them and commands her to stand no. there and desire him and wish it was her. Oh, so we have a lot no. more in the comics. Jessica talks about how when the purple man tells you to feel something, yeah. you feel it. 
It is not following a command. It is you suddenly feel desire, attraction, love, whatever he tells you to feel. Um, and she says it is purer, it is a purer sensation and emotion than the little ones that we regular people have every day. Mm. The way he tells you to feel is clear. It is not tied up in how I think about the person. It is not tied up in, am I tired today? Am I feeling mm. grouchy? Am I? It is a pure burning emotion that he oh, instills in you. Dear. So he makes Jessica stand and watch and in general beg him to have sex with her, to kiss her, to touch her. Um, she says she, she would beg and plead until she cries from exhaustion and being oh, worn down. No. And so for eight months, he, she slept on the floor beside his bed. She bathed him. She did everything. Um, beat people up for him. After eight months, she also talks about how Kilgrave is utterly insane. Um, sometimes he would just um, not talk to anybody for days on end as he stared at the television. Um, after eight months, Kilgrave apparently gets sick of looking at her because he's so enraged by some news story about Daredevil. Mm. And he sends her to um, go and kill Daredevil. And he doesn't know where Daredevil is, so he sends her to Avengers Mansion. Um, and she's, which is not where Daredevil lives, but he doesn't know that. Uh, and he says, if any other superpowered person gets in your way, kill them as well. So she flies as Jewel to the Avengers Mansion, and she sees the Avengers and the Defenders both getting out of Quinjets. She sees the Scarlet Witch from behind with the hood up, and all yeah. she sees is red. And and that's kind of like a Daredevil trigger. Red Daredevil, mm. Red Scarlet Witch. And she attacks Wanda from behind. Like br- It's a brutal sneak attack to like the base of the skull. Uh, really, really hurts Wanda. And after she does that, which is like... It, it, it could be time and distance. It could be um, that she has done something so far outside of her own personality, it snaps her out of it, and she wake, kind of, Kilgrave's hold on her is gone. Mm. But this, it's kind of too late, because the Avengers and the Defenders witness this attack, and they don't know who she is. They think she's a villain who's just come to kill them all, and has attacked Wanda, and Wanda's badly hurt. The Vision, who is the, who is Wanda's husband, is enraged. So is Iron Man. And the Hulk is there as well. They beat the hell out of Jessica. They, they break her nose. They knock the teeth out of her mouth. Her retinas are detached. No. Her, her neck is damaged and her spine is damaged. Carol Danvers is the only person who knows Jessica. So she flies into the battle, she grabs Jessica, pulls her out of the fight, and flies her off to a hospital. Um, Jessica is so badly hurt, she falls into a coma. Um, and she's in this coma for a, for a while, a long time. She only recovers when Jean Grey enters her mind at the behest of uh, Professor X, and, and the Avengers have reached out, and helps um, helps Jessica to wake up. Mm. And when she does, she is so badly beaten in this hospital bed. She spends months and months in recovery, physical rehab, um, being debriefed by S.H.I.E.L.D. and law enforcement. The Avengers find out the truth, and um, they come along with Nick Fury, and they kind of 
they come and apologize um for for what they did and they all talk about how they overreacted mm-hmm. i have to say thor does not seem sincere in the slightest and i don't oh. mean that as a joke thing it just there's something about the way he's i don't know what it is because it's a panel you can't always get tone from it but it read to me on the page always did and it did on this reread i did thor does not seem apologetic about overreacting um anyway nick fury offers jessica a job as a shield agent and liaison to the avengers she'd become an auxiliary member of the team but she'd be responsible for communication between the avengers and shield um but jessica she is completely jaded um completely cynical about superheroes right and about her own abilities and she says are you she she calls this job offer a payoff after what they did um and she declares that she's done with costumes and heroes and all of that crap and she kind of basically says what happened to me is what happened when people think they can play at being a hero and get too close to this dangerous horrible world Episode 2, a.k.a. Crush Syndrome. Jessica is questioned by Detective Oscar Clemens about Hope killing her parents. While Jessica stonewalls the detective, Clemens pulls out photos Jessica took of Luke Cage, insinuating that Cage gave Hope the gun. Angry with the false accusation, Jessica storms out. On the way back to her apartment, she stops by Luke's bar and tells Luke that she covered for him but Luke is angry that Jessica was spying on him as part of an investigation for a husband that suspected his wife was having an affair with Luke. Angry, he tells Jessica to stay away from him. At her apartment, Jessica ponders how Kilgrave is still alive after she left him for dead years ago. Uh, I was very excited when I saw Detective Oscar Clemens, played by Clark Peters. A.K.A. Lester Freeman from The Wire. Me and uh, my good buddy, Mr. Paul Savage, once had a discussion about how it's so disheartening seeing um, actors from The Wire in the wild. Like, yeah. oh, no, you run an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> what yeah. a step down for you. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, this, this, is, this is, I like seeing you in anything, but it is, it's just, you just suddenly know you're not going to get that level of complexity or detail or, yeah yearning for the past it's a feeling of learning yearning for the past isn't it yeah i don't get it with like sopranos actors or anything like that like they can show up in adverts playing goofy versions of mafioso guys and i'm like that's funny that's fun well done guys (laughs) well i mean in a way they were kind of playing goofy versions of mafioso guys to an extent yeah but that's another subtext reading we can't go into uh let's get back to jessica though what was her relationship like with the cops uh, in the comics not good will <laughs> not good not good not good so she's always under suspicion mm. when her cases go awry uh like this um the the overall message and alias is that cops and you might be able to extend this to regular people but specifically cops hate these costumed hero types these superpowered people they hate Mm. them getting involved in in stuff right they immediately don't trust anyone with powers there's always this mocking 
you've got quite a rap sheet. You've got says here you yeah. were involved in did it? Didn't you? So put in the cut. Isn't this you? Mm. And like so, maybe they have to play nice with someone at Captain America's level. But Jessica Jones is just some person yeah. with weird powers, a weird rap sheet. Like so, they do not trust her or like her at all. Um, and that crumbs up a lot. And so, and she's just as she's just as she's been through this system enough times. She's cynical towards them. But it's another example of how every institution and in alias is just rife with this sexism. Like that's a very big theme in in the comic. Like mm. whether it's the government, the police, or the Avengers, they don't trust her. They yeah. don't believe in her. They don't respect her choices, and they don't respect her boundaries. And it's just constant. Like so, as as you said in your behind the scenes section, mm. a great hallmark of film noir and, and and crime noir, which is kind of what you call the books, um, is these. G is this disjointed cynicism about the institutions of society. Usually, it's corruption, and uh, fe- you know, and and kind of the people talk uh, sometimes with with film noir. There is allusions to the the failure of the League of Nations to stop the rise of the Nazi Party in Germany's expansion becomes coded into these films as um, institutions are either corrupt. Or um, powerless because of bureaucracy and factlessness, right? Mm. Uh, which is kind of the end result. What, what a lot of people's opinion of the League of Nations ended up being. Yeah, so, yeah. but but it, so it, it, in Alias, though, it's not that these systems are necessarily corrupt. It's that they are coded through and through with patriarchal arrogance mm. and sexism. Yeah. Come on, sweetheart. Come on, love. Come on. Like they view, they look yeah. down on her view as like a daughter or. It, 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 it's and it's it's throughout. It really is, um, which is part of why it's such a groundbreaking comic book series. And there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of good stuff in this series. It's it's it's, it's tremendous. I don't know if that carries over. I'm not sure it needs to because they do an awful lot of other stuff. Um, but but I I don't know. I don't necessarily get that feeling that institutions are necessarily corrupt or sexist or whatever but but there we go yeah there we go it's fine the next day jessica heads to the police station to question hope hope reveals that Kilgrave was badly hurt the last time jessica saw him and jessica hopes this has left him with some sort of weakness jessica pushes for more info but a distraught hope says that Kilgrave will make jessica suffer the way he suffered and he'll use her to hurt people Hope tells Jessica that she should kill herself to escape this fate. Meeting with Jerry Hogarth, Jessica urges the lawyer to take Hope's case even though Jerry points out there's no way she can win. Jessica makes a quid pro quo deal. Hogarth will represent Hope if Jessica can prove that Kilgore exists and forced Hope to commit the murders. After Jessica leaves, Jerry's assistant Pam walks in and t- to say that Jerry's wife knows about their affair. So I, I like how this show gets dark, uh, but without without it being contrived, it earns the right to do hmm. to delve into darkness rather than doing it as a cheap shock or or, or something. 
Yeah, I, I, you're you're bang on there. You don't get a yeah, you don't get a shock value. It's not a shock value mm. kind of thing, is it? No, 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 not not at all. It's not like a Garth Ennis mm. or Mark Miller, where it is kind of this glee uh, of going into a dark to to dark things. Can I stand up for Garth again? Garth plays it for laughs. Miller mm. plays it for shocks. But yes. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe Garth, really... is in, Garth Ennis finds it finds dark stuff absolutely hilarious. Arse face, it is, he believes his greatest creation. <laughs> Some guy wanted to be so much like um, Kurt Cobain that he shot himself in the face and instead of having this this tragic, heroic death, becomes a man with a face like an arse. That's, he's just very, very pleased and happy about all of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of sympathy for arse face. <laughs> yeah, and of course you do. It, it, and it, I, I tell you, it is a queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, your breath stinks. It's just so funny. I, I, what I loved was there was that woman who had that condition where she couldn't recognise people's faces properly. And she thinks... She no, thinks she's blind. Me. That was it. She's blind. She's completely blind. And he's oh, a hero. We- he does so many amazing things. But then... But what then, does she do? I forgot what will happen. She Don't touches mention. his face and leaves him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, preacher. There's preacher, a scene preacher, where, preacher. like, there's like some there's an awful bully being awful to a woman in a in a diner, and mm. this heroic biker with a bike helmet and leathers steps in and saves the woman and the people in the diner, kicks the guy's ass while wearing this bike helmet, and he's like, "Mister, you're so brave. How can I ever repay you?" Takes the helmet off and it's ass face, and he goes, <laughs> and she vomits. <laughs> And he's a, he, be- <laughs> he becomes oblivious to that he keeps going on and on about you know the things he's doing in the area and the people yeah. in the background are like oh my god actually it's just I, I I know we rag on Garth Ennis from time to time we praise him in other ways it's like say you know for all for, I I do love pre- the preach comic book series. Garth, Garth just knows comic timing. He knows yeah. comic timing, even though he, he does delve into bad taste quite a bit. He still knows. Really good comic But it's timing. with that that um he probably he would he would want me to say he's with that Europe maybe that British Irish sense of humour to it. Yeah. It's it's very dark and very like tr- you know, some of this stuff is just funny because it's not happening it, to me. It is. Anyway, let's get back to uh, let's get back to <laughs> Jessica Jones. So Joey Hogarth, um, is she a character from the comics? Because she does feel like a character that was created for the show. Jerin Jerry Hogarth is a male character ah. from the Iron Fist comics of the 1970s. Okay. Um, Iron Fist, as we'll, we'll get on to and talk about, because we'll deal with that series soon. Um, uh, Iron Fist's uh, father, Wendell Rand, dies, um, and that leaves... Um, when, when Danny Rand comes back to the United States, Hogarth... Um, who was a friend of of Danny's father, Wendell, becomes the executor of the Wendell Rand's estate and um, keeps Danny under surveillance when he returns and tries to ascertain if Danny really is the, the missing son of his deceased friend. And Danny helps Danny navigate his inheritance and the company and the money and everything, the fortune, and returning to life in New York because he's not lived in a city in a long time. He lived in a mystical village. Mm. Um, and then Luke Cage and Iron Fist become the best of pals. And they start up a business venture called Heroes for Hire. 
If you've ah. got a problem that's kind of like bigger than the police can handle, what are you going to do? You can't find the Avengers number in the phone book, but you can call Heroes for Hire. We'll come and help you out for a price. Um, and Jerry acts as the company's legal representative, their lawyer, and their business advisor as well. Um, mm. And he's had many adventures uh, and involvements with Iron Fist and Luke Cage over the years. He has the distinction of being Sabretooth's first intended victim. Oh, um, hello. Sabretooth is originally introduced as an Iron Fist villain, uh, not connected to the X-Men. Seriously? Yeah, we talked about it way, way, way back in our yes, X-Men episode. It's been he's a while. originally yeah. not a mutant, he's just an assassin. He's, um, he, he, he's just a horrible person. But one of my favourite moments, uh, the, uh, well, one of my favourite moments, it's my only favourite moment, it's the best uh, Jerry Hogarth moment, comes when he beats Iron Man with lawyering. Power <laughs> of attorney! Um, he... <laughs> so during the after the Civil War and the Superhuman Registration Act, mm. there are um, the heroes either sign the Superhuman Registration Act and and do what Iron Man says and join Shield and expose their identities to the to the to the government, or they don't they don't register and they don't work for Shield and they're outlaws and criminals. And Iron Man and it goes around with his Avengers capturing and locking them up and put them all in prison. Um, so Iron Man and the Mighty Avengers come to try and lock Danny Rand up for not signing the the Superhuman Registration Act, and Jerry steps in and defends him as his lawyer and says, "I'm sorry, technically, uh, Danny Rand is or he's already registered in the United States as a lethal weapon <laughs> because he had to. His hands, his his feet, everything about Danny Rand is a lethal weapon. So he's already mm. registered. So that's fine. We don't need to do that." And Iron Man's like, no, 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 you have to register with the government. And Hogarth cuts him off and says, uh, that decision has yet to be laid out in courts. Maybe it's been, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's going to be struck down. And also, the government would have to prove that Danny Rand's abilities are superhuman. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he goes, where's your evidence that it's superhuman? Where's it come from? How do you know? This is not something that anyone could do. You don't know that. <laughs> Iron Man is furious. So he produces... A hologram of uh, from based on the cameras in his cut in his uh, armor that he's recorded of Danny Rand as Iron Fist with the new Avengers who are criminals and outlaws and he says okay <laughs> here he is with criminals and outlaws it's evidence I'm gonna get him and uh, Jerry Hogarth says whoa, whoa 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 where did this come from this footage how can we trust that's real and he's like I recorded it with my suit of armor and he goes oh. You want to use something from your suit of armour? I hope you're prepared to release all of your Iron Man files for discovery. I need blueprints of the armour, schematics. I need to know how it works, how it's recorded. Could it have been faked by you? And Stark is furious. (laughs) He's got no recourse for any of this. And Jerry's like, listen, I'm going to tie S.H.I.E.L.D. up in more litigation than you ever thought possible. I do dealings with companies bigger than shield every week like you're tiny compared to the companies i i i do battle with and he says i wonder what's going to last longer danny Rand's trial or your tenure as director of shield and this registration act oh lawyered i tell you i i i loved seeing uh she hulk uh the tv series would have loved a bit more lawyering but hey would have loved to see an entire series of this. I Just, did. I did like the. I liked the logical stuff that they did along the way. 
of mm. taking a superhuman character and saying what, what would the law like yeah. Mr. Immortal who keeps getting married and remarried and stuff I liked all that stuff oh yeah there, there, was, there was good I just wanted more of it even yeah. though it was yeah. a long it was nine episodes it, I did it did leave me wanting more yeah second season is, yeah which is nothing which is nothing more than absolute <coughs> praise for a TV show yeah. really oh, yeah, isn't absolutely. it absolutely anyway we're back to Jessica Jones meeting with Trish Jessica tells her friend how the accident that Kilgrave was in didn't kill him and now he's out for revenge. Trish tries to comfort her friend by saying that she has a high-security apartment for Jessica to stay in, but Jessica angrily says that there is no safety and no security from Kilgrave because he can control anyone. The person who comes to kill Jessica could be the mailman, the security guard, the little old lady on the street. It could even be Trish herself. Kilgrave will control and destroy anyone to get to her so jessica tells trish to stay clear again the uh, the abuser subtext great here <clears throat> it's mm, really yeah. really good really good because because you always hear about there's like people using people to get to people because I, I i i've not known personally but i've i've i have friends who've been in that situation and they say please don't listen to this person you know and it, it, you know this person is lying they're trying to do stuff it's 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 that kind of abuse by peripheral by i also proxy. i also think for me it's this thing of when you've suffered a traumatic relationship you can't mm. trust anyone and i really feel that's yeah. part of what they're saying in this that is given a a sci-fi kind of reality in mm. the um jessica cannot trust anyone but sometimes when you come out of that relationship where you've been uh, abused and, and traumatized you can't trust people around you yeah um i think there are lots of allegories for these relationships make you like jessica was under someone's control for eight months and ostracized her friends and family and that happens with people who are being abused and controlled in relationships yeah you're ostracized from your friends and family by the abuser who wants to cut you off from them which is what we're seeing the effects of here um and also i think on perhaps a more relatable level anyone that's suffered with mental health problems has done this thing of I don't want you to have to go through. I don't want to put it on you. I don't want like Jessica here. We get the what we get in very plain language from Jessica here is an explanation of why she doesn't contact Trish anymore. It's not because she doesn't care about it. It's because she does care about her, and she doesn't want the danger, and she doesn't want Trish to become wrapped up in all of this. And I think that's also something that people with mental health problems can. I remember doing some of that myself, and going, oh, I don't want to keep putting all my problems on somebody else or that I, I behave quite badly when i'm not very well and i don't want them mm. to see that or be around it i think that's some of some of that 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 subtext being through here like you said no it, 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 this is like any time we discuss a tv show like even not on the podcast like sometimes you'll message me about the sopranos and i'll be like oh i didn't spot that you're really good you're, i don't know how you do it you're just really good at spotting th- you're, you're better than me at spotting things like this uh Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 part of the reason we started this podcast, for me, the reason I want to do this, is because I love rereading and rewatching things with a fresh eye and trying to contextualise and trying to dig in and seeing some of these other things and thinking about it a bit differently. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I think part of that is, is what I did at university a little bit. 
Um, part of it is just I don't know, listening and reading some other cool, cool things. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the the if you, you can become fluent in the language of what they're trying to say. Hmm. No, no, no. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, but in the original stories, um, if we can get onto that, I mean, is Jessica suffering PTSD like this in the comics? Yeah. Although I, she definitely is. Although I, I have to say, I think, and I don't know if you can think back to this. I think in probably two thousand and one. I don't think we were using the the word PTSD in public discourse about mm. trauma in the same way we do now. I think it was literally restricted to uh, military personnel who have served in intense situations, police, firefighters, you know, people that have served in very mm. intense, perhaps violence or combat. I think it was. I, I, am I am I wrong in that? Do you, do you have a sense of it? What do you mean, sorry? Does, does that ring true? I think we PTSD was only used to refer to, like, military personnel who had suffered something and police who had been through violent <sighs> incidents. I don't think it was used in the way that we now, with a more better understanding, I think we use it a lot more. Well, I, th- I think for a long time, always um, the, the first thing that would pop up with PTSD for me... <clears throat> was her first blood <laughs> yes that's like oh yes yeah, the film about right, yeah, rambo yeah. has ptsd mm, yeah he goes a bit off the rails well not off the rails he's, he's, he's actually being attacked and then he sort of triggers his uh his vietnam flashbacks so yeah she's definitely is going through this but mm. they don't use the term ptsd because i don't yeah. think people were using it in that respect at the time she mm. drinks to excess she pushes people out of a life like we see here. She mm. buries herself in work and, uh, as we talked about, punish herself, punishes herself with um, intense, perhaps painful sexual experiences um, or even just meaningless sexual experiences as well. That's another thing she seems to punish herself with. Um, mm. The reader doesn't know anything about the Purple Man. So Ooh. we get this straight away, right? Yeah, we get, we get the... Um Although we don't, we perhaps don't know who or what it is. We know Mm. there's this man, English accent. There's something going on. The reader doesn't have any of that um, throughout Alias up until the revelations, kind of in the end of the first year or the second year. Um, You just know that Mm. she went through something intense as a superhero, and and then quit, and her life kind of fell apart, and she spiraled down to where she mm. is in in the first issue um there's a um, after hearing kilgrave's name and and being contacted about uh, 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 taking a case associated with kilgrave she goes on a big spiral she gets blackout drunk um well she wakes up in luke cage's bed apartment the next mm. day um, and she can't find her clothes, and she's like, "What the hell happened?" And she says, "Oh," and Luke Cage says, "Oh, you don't remember? Well, at three in the morning, you started calling me and yelling down the phone that I am not half the man Matt Murdock is, and that <laughs> Matt Murdock will always be a better person than me." And I was like, "Okay." And then, after I hung up on you, you crash landed through my kitchen window. <laughs> and he points at it, destroyed window. <laughs> you hit the fridge. The fridge has got this massive cave dent in it. Um, you got up, started ranting about how great Matt Murdock is again, threw up all over yourself. Your clothes are at the cleaners, by the way. And then you passed out. Um, and that was after literally just having a hearing Kilgrave's name on an answer phone message. So, yeah. Oh, I mean. 
awful, awful situation. However, the explanation in the morning genuinely sounds funny. Yeah, it, I'm not sure if it's. I'm. I. I it's. It, it's played for an in between thing. Yeah, I like that subtlety. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're not laughing out loud, but you are going. <clears throat> Yeah, there's a hum- humour element to it. I, I I think what it comes down to is that Bendis portrays it as one buddy, like ragging on another buddy for their bad behaviour. There we go. Like it's That's- not without consequence. It's like, but it's like, yeah, you broke my window, you broke my fridge, you threw up all over yourself, you called me at three in the fucking morning, and you did all this. But I, I always look at that side of things like that's that's always from a, a comedic perspective, explaining the chaos from the day after. That's all for, in my yeah. mind. That hits a comedic note. Anyway, enough of comedic notes. Back to dark and serious. Jessica confronts her neighbor, ups, upstairs neighbor about the noise they're, they're always making. Jessica grabs Robin by the throat and pins her against the wall. She threatens them, telling Robin that her and her boyfriend slash brother, Reuben, that she needs them to be quieter so she can work in peace. At Luke's bar... Cage rebuffs the advances of the woman he was having an affair with, telling her that he doesn't get involved with married women. And now there's a private investigator with photos of them together. The the woman insists that her husband would never hire an investigator, but after seeing the pictures, she dashes out of the bar to confront her husband. Uh, just a bit about the uh, Robin and her boyfriend slash brother Reuben, which... Uh, my, I had to, I had to recheck that when I was watching this because uh, my mind auto corrected out that that could possibly happen because <laughs> I'm so pure, I'm so pure. Uh, there was, there were so many little, little giggle bits. There was, there was the line when, when she goes away and Ruben's there in his pants and he goes, "Come back in, you're naked." <laughs> like, like they reminded me of who are the awful incestuous family in Always Sunny that that generally just oh, wear the pants. McCoyles. The McCoyles. The McCoyles. They remind yeah. because he was wearing just kind of pants and like a robe. It reminded yes. me, of, and there's an incest thing, or is there? Yeah, it reminded me of them, which I I, I hate those episodes because I find them just so gross. I I don't hate them. I love the court no. the courtroom episode, but well, the court. I I I love the way they got um, Guillermo del Toro to play Paddy, <laughs> Pappy McPoyle. And um, I'm playing I'm playing the game or trying to play the game Death Stranding, and you've got uh, the guy from The Walking Dead uh, in the game. What guy from The Walking Dead? There's a million of them. Oh, you know the the one the, the one the one who looks like the hillbilly guy with the crossbow. Daryl. Yeah. Daryl played by I forgot his name. Uh, you know, Daryl, Daryl from The Walking Dead, <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen, um, uh, uh, the one who played the bionic woman. I think it was Linda Linda Wagner. She's in it, and um, Guillermo del Toro is in the game. Wow! And it's like it's it's amazing. But yeah, anyway, we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about uh, Robin and her boyfriend slash brother Ruben. Another line I loved was uh, she doesn't she clearly doesn't understand Jack about cordon blue. That was great, yeah. <laughs> that was going good. Like, cordon blue. Cordon, it's cordon <laughs> Sounds blue. Sounds like a cord- cheese. Oh, a little bit of cordon oh. blue. Cordon blue. Spread yeah, that on yeah. a cracker. Yeah. Uh, Robin, uh, the neighbour here, is played by Colby Minifee, who, if you recognise on the rewatch, uh, she's another actor who appears in The Boys. She's, nice I, I, she crops up in, in movies and things from time to time. I think mm. she's great. I really do. Um, I, like, I like the way she delivers face. lives. Yeah. Sorry, she's got that interesting, like her nose is very high. <laughs> It's got oh. very like like she's sneering at you a lot, and okay. I, I think that works great for comedy. Mm. I think her face is works great for comedy. It's like like she's 
got this high you, you try using that line on a woman see what happens sunshine that's a fine thing of you to say you great my face. dear i've got a great face for comedy you have got a great <laughs> face for comedy my dear by the way how old are you great <laughs> face for double comedy. whammy your nose is very high would you like to go to dinner <laughs> if she hisses this podcast and, and punch me in the face I, i'll be fine yeah i'll be fine with that. <laughs> back to the story at alias investigations Jessica goes through old newspaper clippings of the bus accident that supposedly killed Kilgrave, trying to figure out what has happened and how he survived. Her investigation is cut short when the shouts from another neighbour's apartment distract her to the point that she intervenes. The next morning, she investigates the scene of the bus crash before going to the attending hospital for answers. Jessica briefly considers knocking a few nurses unconscious in order to get access to their computers, but as more and more witnesses fill the ward, fill the ward. Sorry, she reconsiders. I love that little Je- uh, that little equation she did in her head because she says in the voice, "It's not like knocking out one nurse to get my answers. That's fine to stop Kilgrave." And then another yeah. one turns up and she goes, "Yeah, two. That's kind of." And then she's like, "Ah, oh, this is starting to get tricky." <laughs> this whole bit felt like playing a hitman game. Where you have to infiltrate. Obviously, you can go in all guns blazing in those games, but they they design to like no, you've got to infiltrate, you've got to sneak past. Right. And, you, and I'm always in those games, looking around and calculating in my head how, what can I get away with. To what get was the? Uh, this is a very very early before the Metal Gear Solid, the you know the new the newer one that came out in the mm. I don't know when that was the first Metal Gear Solid that really made an impact in the US. Before that, there was another sneaky, sneaky take out all the guards. It was like a ninja game. Was it Tenchu? I don't know. It may well have been. But it, I remember Tenchu. that being the first. You had, to, you had to blend into the background, hide up against walls, yep. wait and wait and wait. And then when the guard turned their back, then you get them. I remember that. That would probably that was, be. That was Tenchu. PlayStation. Uh, when you actually played one, as, an, as a ninja. Two. Yeah, it was really good fun. Yeah. They were, they were good games. They were made by the same people who did Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater <clears> as well. Ah. <laughs> And I think they also went on to do the Spider-Man games. But anyway, we're not talking about Spider-Man. We're talking about Jessica Jones. Jessica breaks who, into who, a is, hosp- who is uh, who is had a crush on Peter Parker and Spider-Man when they were kids. What's the line we say in this podcast, Rob? It's all connected. Oh, it's all connected, right? It's yeah. all connected, Rob. Yeah, it's all connected. We're they, talking about stealth video games, and it comes back to that. When they're both on the <laughs> Avengers team later yeah. on, and Spider-Man reveals his secret identity to the team, Jessica's mm. like, Peter Parker! And he's like, yeah! She's like, from school! And he's like, what? And he's like, it's me, Jessica Jones! We went to school together! And he's like, we did? She's like, I sat behind you in this, I had a really big crush on you, and Luke Cage is like, you did what? <laughs> and, then, and, and she's like, not now, honey, I'm talking to Spider-Man. And she's like, you don't remember me? And he's like, I, don't, I sat behind you here, we talked here, and you're like, uh, he goes, I, I was in a coma, for, for, and he goes, oh, coma girl! Oh. <laughs> and she's like, what? And you're like, no, oh no, no, I didn't mean that, it's just, um, um, and then Luke's getting involved going, why are you so annoyed? And she's like, not now, honey, who I'm married to. I'm going to initiate with... Sp-. It's a very fun scene. Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. That yeah. is so good. Bendis is just able to like bring back a flashback from the Alias comic that not everyone read and then just put it straight into New Avengers that everyone's reading. That's incredible. Jessica breaks into a hospital locker, steals a bright pink hospital volunteer uniform and an access card. 
Posing as a new hire, Jessica accesses the hospital database looking for any records relating to the bus crash, specifically for any John Doe's brought in that could have been Kilgrave. But despite her searches, there's no trace of Kilgrave being admitted to the hospital. Arriving back to her apartment, Jessica finds the door open and ends up accidentally attacking the maintenance man hired by Trish to fix her broken door, thinking it was Kilgrave. As the maintenance man is taken away in an ambulance, Jessica realises her next lead is to question the ambulance driver who was there the night Kilgrave was hit by a bus. On the subway, Jessica has a trauma flashback and hears Kilgrave's voice. She lashes out in fear at a window, breaking it and scaring the other passengers. Arriving at the ambulance driver's house, Jessica finds that the ambulance driver is living on a dialysis machine, having suffered a stroke after donating both of his kidneys to a complete stranger. Jessica realises that this must have been Kilgrave. After photographing the machine and telling him that she'll find out whoever did this to him, the driver perks up and struggles to write down the word Sorry, it's also write down on a piece of paper. Kill me. Oh, I like the way that what that bit played out because you think he's about to write down the name. Yeah, grave. <clears throat> simply kill me, and you're like, oh god. And it, I have to tell you, that's my biggest fear: being in that situation, locked really? into a body like that, an I iron mean, lung I, kind of thing. Well, me and my wife have obviously talked about wills and stuff, and I've. I think the first thing I said was, if I'm ever in this situation, just kill me. Oh, I'll if do I'm that ever- for you. Yeah. You would. Yeah, no worries, mate. No worries. Don't have. No don't. Worries. Don't think. I'll. I'll put your lights out straight. Like, it doesn't even have to be an iron lung. Uh, you let me know. <laughs> you let me just, know what your. I mean, it could be a broken leg. Like, I, you don't want to live I, with a broken leg, Will. Come on. I'm just just imagining a month from now, <laughs> there's a knock at the door, and you're there with a ball peen hammer, going, "It's Will in." <laughs> it's Will in. He said he's got a cold. <laughs> he said he's got a cold. <laughs> He doesn't want to suffer like this, Melina. Just let me, let me do it. <laughs> yeah, I've had, uh, I've had a lot of, uh, yeah, thoughts about that kind of situation. I'm like, ah, uh, no, I don't, don't. I, that, I'm quite scared of that situation. This was the mm. one. Or, this, uh, this is another really, truly horrifying thing that you learn about the idea that 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 Kilgrave did this to this man. Yeah, is or it's really, really something else i mean you think about violence um and then you also think about this kind of uh, supernatural coercion mm. but then when you think about it at this level the cruelty it, of this yeah it's the it's the cruelty it's the specificness of it mm. it's not it's not like a zombie harvesting away at your guts while you're still alive and breathing we're talking about mind controlling a doctor to perform it on you while you're com- giving complete consent it's oh it's awful yeah it's it's incredible but on a light, on, a, on another note, um, I know Trish was uh, was was trying to be good, but who hires someone to fix a door, someone else's door, without telling them? First? Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? I imagine there's odd. like a, there's a there's a there's a message on her answer phone explaining it, but oh, okay, Jessica doesn't. I don't sense. imagine Jessica checks her answer phone. I, 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 it'd be like, hey, what happened to my door? And she goes, guess who did that? It's like, <laughs> no, no one does that. That's that's ridiculous. But back to Kilgrave. Um, I don't want to delve into him too much, but I have to because uh, we're a podcast about this and people want to listen to it. Uh, has he done anything that horrific in the original comics? The It's the Alias series that really introduces this this 
horrifying kind of look at the purple man he'd been mm. around for for years you know since the 70s as a de- mainly a daredevil villain yeah but, but more in, in the kind of it's a superhero thing it's an arch villain he tries to mind control superheroes to yeah. do his evil plan um it's not looked at in the same way it is when the alias comic kind of gives this new presentation of him um it was shocking and it and it and it um it really caused a big stir and yeah in that comic as we talked about it is enslaving and sexually assaulting women that's a, a big thing that he kind of that he that he does in that and in, in, in the flashbacks and things and it's introduced in this mature max comic mm. outside i mean and within that comic we see him making people fight for his amusement to the death and stuff he does that on mass with a big crowd of people and things mm when one of the other like just almost throwaway stories about him that we learn in this in in the alias is that he walks into a denny's to get some food Mm. he sits down to eat eggs and then announces that everyone is making too much noise and it's bothering him so he tells everyone in the restaurant to stop breathing while he reads the paper and then 34 people die they just stop breathing they hold their breath until they die that's like a very minimalist version of that um, issue of Sandman. <clears throat> that issue of Sandman. Oh, right, okay. The diner issue of well, Sandman. Because it happens in a diner, yeah. Um, uh, and he controls them. It, yeah, it's just the, 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 the way he's portrayed is this thing of, you know, he has no, utterly, utterly no regard for life or suffering. He's utterly, utterly depraved and insane. Um, but he also wants things. He wants a nice read of the paper. You know, there's a line that mm. Bane has in the Nightfall comics mm. where Batman says something like, You would kill a man just for that? And he says, I would kill just to dim the light in the eyes of men that would dare look at me. Ooh. Which is a great line. It stayed with me since I heard it in the radio. I think it, it hit me in the radio series, which is a really great. I was a kid. I loved that. The radio series of the audio is drama. Is that the Nightfall? Is that the uh, the famous uh, story arc where Bane... Nightfall Bane, yeah. I think I read that years ago, but I'm going to have to yeah. reread that. I've got so much Batman on my DC Unlimited app to go through, including all the stuff you've recommended me. The, so it's just that, that, that mm. like, like I would, I'd have such disregard for other people. I would kill someone so that other people looked at me differently. I would kill everybody so that I could have peace and quiet while I'm eating my eggs. You know, mm. it's it's a it's all it's also a level of like there's a level of entitlement of it's it's just brutal. Um so outside of the alias stories though, like before that he wasn't he wasn't kind of presented in that way. Um and outside of the alias stories there's a, there's a real limit to what you could what horrifying things you do with him in Marvel comics because the rest of Marvel comics are not you know rated max for mature readers so um yeah back at Jessica's apartment she is hassled by the lawyer she took photos of who also tells the investigator that her husband's buddies are headed to Luke's bar to beat him up at the bar Jessica arrives in time to see Luke effortlessly defend himself against the gang of men without getting so much as a scratch Jessica joins the fight and watches in amazement as Luke is stabbed with a broken bottle, but the shark glass fails to penetrate his unbreakable skin. Knowing that Jessica is the reason for the fight, Luke tells her to get out. So this is a pretty uh, pretty intense fight, but uh, apart from 
<laughs> Infidelity. What sort of cases does Jessica take on in the comic books? Light-hearted bit now, sort of. Um, well, Thank we got, you. We Thank that, you for that. <laughs> we've got that Captain America case. That's the first one she takes on. Yeah. Um, she's hired to find the recently missing Rick Jones. Um, who is a long-time association of Captain America, the Hulk, and the Avengers, who has seemingly abandoned his wife due to being a wanted criminal by both the Kree and the Skrulls after the events of the Kree-Skrull War. For more on that, sign up to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel as our bonus episode for this month delves into the Avengers' first big war and fight in space with the Kree and the Skrulls. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, they, she looks for a... She has to go... There's a, a girl who's gone missing in a small town, and she's rumoured to be a mutant, and it's a very prejudiced town. And so she starts... To, as she's looking for the girl, suspect that the town have done... You know, they they seem to have antiquated ideas about mutants. They Like, it's Satan and all that kind of black magic-y mm. stuff. They, she starts to be worried that the town has done something truly awful to this girl um when daredevil's secret identity is exposed to the tabloids she's hired to protect matt murdoch and to gather evidence um on the tabloids that printed the story um and J. Jonah jameson hires jessica to uncover spider-man's identity um which she you know she has a little fun with that and then later Mm-hmm. Um, Jameson's stepdaughter is a young girl called Matty Franklin and Matty Franklin has become at this stage the latest spider woman um, and she goes missing and so Jam- Jameson has a relationship with Jessica and he hires Jessica to go and find his his um, his stepdaughter I like that, I, li- I like the way it's tying in they did in that, a really yeah, good every, way it's not, it's not just it's not mm. just uh, street level crime. It's all like I said, the fringes of the Marvel universe. There's all these little it, fringe it's elements. Team, it's team ups, not just with superheroes and superheroes, but superheroes and other people within the universe. So it feels yeah so connected. Yeah, it's all connected. The next morning, Jessica gets a call about her inquiry into the dialysis machine and her next lead. The machine is registered to Doctor K- David Carada. Sneaking into Doctor Carada's lecture. Jessica is clocked by the Doctor, who immediately runs out of the lecture theatre. Jessica pursues the Doctor through the campus until she corners him in a basement. Jessica starts to question why the Doctor is hiding, with the Doctor asking if Kilgrave is with her. It turns out that Kilgrave forced the Doctor to forge his death certificate and take both kidneys from the paramedic. Dr. Carada told Kilgrave that he didn't need two new kidneys that both men could survive with one healthy kidney each but Kilgrave insisted the doctor give him both of the paramedics organs that was I hated that <laughs> that was so yeah. like no 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 I want both it was it was the line he said he doesn't want to be incomplete and it's just oh yeah. it's such a narcissistic tone to that isn't mm. it oh awful Carada does have one helpful piece of information Kilgrave refused anesthesia for the surgery. The doctor tells Jessica that anesthesia shuts down different parts of the brain than just simple sleep. Jessica thinks that Kilgrave fears the anesthesia will shut down his mind control. She has finally found a weakness. Jessica manages to get Dr. Carada to agree to testify for Jerry Hogarth that Kilgrave is capable 
of mind control. Wow, I, I know Kilgrave is a driven man, and we've all got our weaknesses, but, oh, God, being conscious during surgery. <laughs> oh! Yeah, oh. well, he had. they said he had, like, an epidural or something, didn't he? So he had... Um, oh, it was okay, it, So yeah. he had the, whatever, it, do they call it local gen? I don't know what it is, but they It'll had... Local, they, well, they had local. so many... You don't, get, you don't always get a choice these days. They just... It's so much safer to do it with you conscious that so many surgeries are done uh, this way now. Really? Mm, like yeah. a... Oh, wow. You can't feel it, and they put a shield up, but they put a shield. You up can feel of... your body moving, and it's uh, yeah. That's because uh, they, they do that a lot uh, with cesareans, I think. Yeah, because I, I I know. Oh, with cesareans, yeah, you don't you don't cesareans. knock the mother out. Yeah, yeah. but full uh, surgery but, like but that. The, yeah, but it's so much safer than than yeah. putting someone to sleep. So they they do. Yeah, because I, I heard about what can go wrong with that, and it's it's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so. I assume this is the same weakness. The uh, the anesthesia is the same weakness in the comic books, right? Or is something else used? No, there's no, there's no. There doesn't seem to have a weakness like this in the comics at all. Oh no! Um, so certain individuals have like exceptional willpower. Yeah. Um, Kilgave tries to get the kingpin to blow his own brains out. But Ooh. Wilson Fisk is able to stop himself and resist. Mm. Um, he gets close to Doctor Doom, but has no ability to control Doctor Doom or Captain America either. Captain America mm. has indomitable will, um, and they're able to resist Kilgrave's uh, powers. Daredevil has always been able to resist the Purple Man's uh, commands, and this is like it's been a, because it seems like we'll get onto his powers later on. His powers seem to be the result of like affecting everyone people's senses their whole way they interpret reality and stuff because daredevil is blind it's as a result of that that purple man's powers have like less of an impact on daredevil so he's he's able to to to, to not kind of be under the sway as much so he has an advantage mm. uh earplugs is a big one. Oh yeah that, make, that makes um sense. purple man's victims have to listen to his commands so Moon Knight mm. once used earplugs to uh, block the commands out and beat the hell out of him. And Daredevil managed to um, prevent Kilgrave from taking care of, uh, a, a, taking control of a bunch of police officers once by blasting music loud enough that it was <laughs> muffling his, his voice. Two things about that. One, Hawkeye would be uh, invaluable against him. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's deaf. Two, it reminds me of the Preacher TV show where, because of course, Preacher's power is he has the voice of God, the word. and it's the word of God. Sorry, the word of God. And one of the policemen uh, has an idea and basically puts his head in the car boot and fires a gun in the car boot, deafening him. Right. So yeah. he can take out Preacher. I thought that was quite clever. That Does that work? Change. It. I think it worked in the TV show. It worked in the TV show, but the way Jesse you, I, uses that, I remember him. I distinctly remember it's one of the earliest preacher collections I've read, and I didn't read from the. I didn't read it right from the start. It was like somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and he tells someone to go and count all Ooh. the grains of sand on a beach. Oh boy, Jesse, yeah, man, though, what yeah. are you doing? That is that is quite cruel. Mm. Um, I, I gave up on the preacher TV show, and it got cancelled. Uh, I gave it around season three, but yeah. Whatever it 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 didn't feel it it didn't feel like they got it entirely correct and I kind of got bored with it but never mind let's get back to Jessica Jones at the police station Jerry meets Hope to begin building a case Hogarth learns that Jessica Jones was also a victim of Kilgrave's mind control 
At Jessica's apartment, the private investigator unwraps the sign for a new door before calling Trish. During the phone call, Trish starts bleeding from her nose but doesn't tell Jessica before going back to an intense private self-defense training session. Elsewhere, Kilgrave enters a family's apartment and takes over the household with his mind control. He orders the husband and wife around like servants and they immediately become eager to please him and despising the children, he orders them to go hide in the closet and not make a sound. Kilgrave sits down at the dinner table and begins to eat the family's meal while they serve him. This is scary. It is. It's it's the encroachment onto your and to every. It's like take, it's just yeah. It's awful. I mean, yeah. with a lot of scary things when it's supernatural, I always think there's an air of dark comic ridiculousness to it, and mm. we get that here. It's the immediate switch, the switch around of their expressions. And say mm. you are you are welcoming in almost like a Jedi mind trick, and it's that same kind of tone. And and it's like initially the immediate switch of tone. I read it at a comedic level, but it's you know how some situations you're watching a film or a TV show where something's quite dark, but at the same time, sometimes it hits a certain comedic level, but you're not laughing out loud because it's not right. funny, but it has that uncomfortableness. I think David Lynch does that a lot with some of his stuff, where it's quite bizarre, but you don't know how to react. This hits that subtle blend for me, but more, I would say, 70% horrifying. Mm. And just locking the kids away and it's just like and you see the puddle of urine coming out because yeah, he's starting to go kids. to the toilet well go in the closet then they're going cl- and it's like oh god it's like it's just uncomfortable incredibly uncomfortable i mean is he's not mind controlling the kids either either is he yeah he is yeah oh he is oh but i thought they're quite protesting they're not going along completely with it i don't know I don't get that read. He's not. I don't know where. I don't, mm. The mind control man enters the scene and tells tells people to do things, and they do it. That's how I read the scene. Yeah, but I, I've I've always read it like they immediately like you know they they, they comply. They immediately did. with it. Yeah, but the kids. They said they needed the toilet. You're getting hung up on this for no reason. <laughs> I'm just trying to he figure out the, the little family bits. and tells them to do stuff. Damn it! How dare you? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> how powerful is Kilgrave in the comic books? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I, he might be more powerful in the in the, in the TV show. Um, his his powers are, uh, are uh, operate via pheromones, ah, um, okay. and he gives him the ability to. It's said that he saps people's wills um, with these pheromones, so his commands are, are just you're unable to resist what he tells you to do. I um I, I think it's weird that earlier I used pheromones as an example. Mm. And now I'm thinking, no, no, I didn't read. I didn't read a Wikipedia page about the Purple Man. I assure you, I was using pheromones as an example. He, he, he was. Uh, the, the history is a bit. He even talks about his own history being odd. He was a spy. Yeah. He tried to steal something, something experimental, chemical. It got all over him. It dyed uh. his skin purple, and that's where the power. It, like his power originates in his skin cells, which have been altered, so they shed from him all the time. So he has no control over who does and doesn't obey him. So it's a splash effect, if anything. It's like whoever's around yeah. gets it. Yeah. Um, he can also alter people's perceptions. He can make you see and experience anything he wants to. Like he can make, like he makes Jessica desire him and and love mm. him and want him. But he can also make you see things that aren't there. Um, oh, that's scary. Jessica wakes in one of the ends. One of the final. Mm. One of the issues of Alias ends with 
Jessica in bed with Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and when she wakes up the next morning, he has been eaten alive by ants, and he's just this hard-out husk. Uh, But we find out that's just what Purple Man has told her to see, so she sees it. No, that's not good. Um, But it does seem to be like he's been able to enthrall a crowd of over 100 people uh, and tell them all Mm. to do things, and they do. But once out of his immediate range, it depends how mm-hmm. much of the pheromones have built up in your body and how yeah. resistant your um, biology is to them. Um, but again, time and distance. Once you're out of his area, um, that will start to wear off. Um, Doctor Doom once used technology to enhance the Purple Man's powers and broadcast it across the whole globe, controlling virtually everyone in the world. <sighs> Um, that does sound like something Doctor Doom yes. would do. Uh, it was a, it was a, yeah. I think it was a graphic novel called Emperor Doom. Um, wow! And Kilgrave uh, is also has an accelerated healing factor. Um, he's been he's received an intense trauma and like been assumed dead several times. Um, mm. But uh, but then he, he enters some sort of death like state, like a coma, while he heals himself. Um, oh, on the illusions, one time he tells Carol Danvers to throw him into the sun because he wants to kill himself. And Ooh. it looks like, and then they brought him back and had to explain how that didn't happen. Um, and it turns out it was like an illusion he told everyone to see. So, yeah, I think the illusion thing is kind of is, is different because you can do that in the comics. But I think he's able to, in the TV series, tell you to do things and you seem to do them over a prolonged period of time whether he's around or not yeah whereas that doesn't uh, maybe maybe i'm maybe that does if maybe regular humans are affected like that superpowered people aren't uh, yeah who knows oh. at jessica's apartment she realizes she now knows kilgrave's weakness suddenly she sees luke cage sitting in her bedroom Luke says that he saw Jessica fight off four men in the bar, throwing them all over the place with abnormal strength. Jessica denies it, saying the fight was chaotic and Luke doesn't know what he saw. Luke insists that Jessica has powers, and he knows she does because he has powers too. For proof, Luke grabs the handyman's angle grinder, turns it on, and puts the deadly tool onto his bare skin, but the angle grinder doesn't hurt Luke at all. It sparks and collapses, unable to break Luke Cage's skin. I like this. Looking back at this now, it's like the the the, the whole thing about the door being repaired. Not only you know it's an actual yeah. thing, but it's like it, it's sort of like it it it, it sets up there being this this cool tool to do this here. Yeah, it's like yeah, if you're gonna demonstrate <laughs> demonstrate someone having unbreakable skin, you're gonna do it with a power tool. It's and not everybody has an angle grinder lying around in that. Their and you don't want him yeah. just, just bringing this to do a demonstration later. The way it yeah. sparks and smokes off his skin is very I bring visceral. This to all people, I reveal my powers too. So far, there have been five. <laughs> <laughs> These angle grinders are expensive. Sometimes I reuse one. So we got impenetrable skin here. What are, what are Luke Cage's powers apart from that? A bulletproof skin's the big one, but he's got you know okay. superhuman strength. Um, mm. He can uh, he can carry like a a, a a truck over his. He carried a truck over multiple city blocks because he couldn't get the engine to start once. Um, it, it, yeah, his 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 skin is his his body is general like his 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 bones and his muscles are super dense. 
so he's very resistant to physical injury. Mm. He can withstand gunfire and, and and blades and things like that. Um, and his withstood his strength allows him to do um, like Hulk like mega jumps as well. Not at the same strength, you know, not with the same distance or height as the Hulk, but he can he can jump mm. great distances. Um, and he wasn't always this strong. Like in the early days, he was just. He was stronger than most people, and he was bulletproof, and that was his thing. He was a street-level bounty hunter kind of guy, um, and and that was it. But over the years, they wanted to use him more and more as a superhero. His strength has gone up, and the things he can withstand has gone up. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's Luke Cage, uh, a really fun character, and um, hopefully we get to see more of him soon. There we have it, the first two episodes of the groundbreaking Jessica Jones TV series, giving us a look into the groundbreaking Alias comic book series, an important chapter and milestone in Marvel Comics history. Will, turn things over to you now. I'd love to get your final thoughts on this show. My final thoughts on the show, well, I've I've mentioned throughout the episode that I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I remember watching this when it first came out and, and having no idea who the characters were and enjoying it because when it comes to superhero things like before i really got heavily into the marvel cinematic universe i had I, I i wouldn't want to see a superhero film unless i had some idea who they were and i took a chance with this and it really paid off the subtle take on superheroes keeping everything very down to earth really worked well in the show's favor it really did like Making a, a a show about a being that can control minds, fighting super, a super-powered hero in a way that's not a CGI-laden explosion fest pays off so well. Like, maybe because the characters are so well executed. You, you could imagine this on paper and thinking, oh, we're not seeing a lot of superhero battles that might not come off well in a lower-budget TV show. But it does, and it works. It's so good because it focuses on character. And I'm surprised uh, David Tennant is more of a TV man than a film man because he's just brilliant. I I have not seen him in in in. I don't think I've ever seen him in a film, but he has been so good in television. The man is brilliant. Uh, I loved the film noir style, obviously, that pays homage right without ever feeling like a cliche. What was your favourite um, part of the of the episodes that we watched? Favorite moment? There is quite. There's quite a lot to pick through. My obvious choice would be the uh, behind-the-page look of Trish Walker going right no, back. No, what's your favourite moment in the TV episodes that we watch oh, as a TV show? I am so, We never usually <laughs> say that. On the yeah, TV. we do. Yeah, we they, do both. We do both. Every okay. episode we do both. Every episode, Will. You're an idiot. Uh, favourite moment? Oh, God. I really loved... I don't know. The one that sticks out for me the most, either it's either the, the guy in the diocese, the paramedic going yeah. to kill me, or the almost the almost smooth execution of Kilgrave entering that family's flat. No, Well, even hesitation, knowing exactly what he wants from them. Like, it's his instinct is right there, and he knows exactly the commands to get them to do it. And it's just, oh, it's... That that will that will stick in the mind for a few years, <laughs> and I think we already know. But what's your favourite slice of trivia? Then was it Patsy Walker? Well, <laughs> I was going to go with Patsy Walker first, but there are there are other things like the lawyer. Uh, oh yeah, Hogarth. Hogarth. Yeah, that really makes me want to see more of that. Obviously, can't read that. It's it's a, it's a toss up between those two. 
Well, the reading list for this episode, um, if you are a mature reader, I highly recommend checking out Alias by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gados. Um, there's 28 episodes, I think there's several collections of it. Um, if you're not a mature reader and you don't fancy reading about that kind of uh, adult themes, then you can check out The Pulse by Brian Michael Bendis, um, which is the stories of Jessica Jones when she kind of moves out of the mature range and into the slap bang in the middle of the Marvel Universe and he's working for the Daily Bugle. Um, we can exclusively reveal now and never before earlier in the episode that the next episode will be our return to MCU blockbuster movies, Thor, Ragnarok. Um, are you looking forward to that one, Will? I I am. I, I rewatched it uh, this week in preparation. And I, 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 I know you're not a fan, a particularly big fan of that one, but I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. There's a lot to dig into. That's our next deep dive episode in two weeks' time. Um, if you can support the show, please do leave a review, subscribe, share our content with the world, and tell your friends who love Marvel. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston. And our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel versus Marvel.